All right, folks. We all know that one of the most common mishaps in hunting is damage to your rifle scope. Last year, I found the solution to that problem with the Stealthy Hunter rifle cover. It wraps around your scope and action securely to protect it from getting knocked off of zero or even severely damaged. Stealthy Hunter also has a glassing pad and a wide variety of supplements for the outdoorsman, such as protein powder, CBD products, turmeric, and gut health supplements. They also make a lightweight trauma kit weighing in at just 14 ounces that includes everything you need and nothing you don't for all of your backcountry medical emergencies. To shop all of their equipment and supplements, go to StealthyHunter.com and enter the discount code at checkout, The Northern Hunter, to save on your order today. All Stealthy Hunter equipment is proudly made in the USA. Listening to the Northern Hunter Podcast, home of all things hunting, fishing, and outdoors in Alaska. All right, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to the show. My name is James Payne. I'm Dalton Gray. I'm Mariah Humphreys. And I am very sad I missed last episode. I knew you um, would be. <laughs> you yeah, guys yeah. did a very really good job with it. I uh, appreciated listening to it today while I was on a long drive. Um, but I'm excited to expand on all of that uh, topic. We've you know, like you said, this is the time to buy. This is the time to prepare. Um, it's the time to dial stuff in, too. Um, I like the way you put it in that episode when you guys... It was earlier on in the episode, you were talking about the rifles and everything like that. And you were mm-hmm. talking about how you should know your weapon intimately and be basically an extension of your mm-hmm. arm. Yeah. And today, we're going to be talking about how to get to that point, going from just shooting a pie plate at 100 yards to knowing exactly exactly what that rifle is going to do so hang in there for that uh if you like the show and what we're doing uh be sure to subscribe to it if you have not already on whatever platform you're listening to it on uh leave us a written review if you like it and uh give us a five-star rating all of that goes a long ways in making sure Mm -hmm. we can reach more people get this show in front of as many people as possible Uh, there's always a share button right there if we talk about something that you think a buddy would like to listen to Definitely share it with your friends. You can share it to social media um, and any of our posts on social media, which if you search at The Northern Hunter, you'll find either of our pages on Facebook and Instagram. Um, if you share our posts to your stories or anything like that, that helps a lot as well. The meta platforms have been fairly uncooperative with hunting content. So oh, no. <laughs> big surprise, right? can imagine <laughs> so, that. Uh, we're working, trying to get that resolved it's been a long long road for anybody that's listened to the show for a while we've been fighting that for a minute so by the end of that lawsuit we'll own instagram (laughs) jokes on them exactly but if you guys share our stuff it really helps us out and helps us grow and bring more content to the table and of course if you'd like to reach out to us and with any questions you know we answer a lot of questions here we love even just stories if you have a success story you'd like to tell us about maybe we'll share it in the air Uh, if you go to the website thenorthernhunter.com we have a contact button there Mm -hmm. And helping us, another way to help us grow is to buy merch in the shop. We have uh, hats, hoodies, and t-shirts. And we also have a partners page there with a bunch of companies that have decided to sponsor us. Uh, gave us discount codes that you can use while you're shopping. It's all hunt related, all stuff that'll get you out into the out of the wild and help you be more successful. So 
the links and discount codes for those are in the partners page of the website or in the show notes of this show you're listening to right now. So go click those links and buy yourself some gear. Um, so before we expand on what was talked about last week, I, uh, I wanted to circle back to a couple things. And I know, Dalton, you said you had a couple things you wanted to circle back to as well. So why don't you go ahead with that? Yes, I had a couple of corrections as I kind of went back through that episode. Mo and I were in here burning the midnight hours, <laughs> and I noticed a few things that uh, that got said that were not 100% correct. The first of which that stood out to me was in our conversation, we were talking about what an MOA is for a rifle, and a minute of angle, as you all know, mm-hmm. very likely is an angular measurement. Therefore, the farther away you get, yeah. the greater that angle becomes. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, one MOA is roughly equal to one inch at 100 yards. Yes. And that's why each click on your scope turrets are one quarter MOA if, if it is an MOA, if it's not in mill radian. But the majority of them for hunting purposes are one quarter MOA. Especially per, stateside. Per click at 100 yards, right? Mm-hmm. That's the regulation of, of that turret. One MOA being an inch at 100 yards would mean then approximately at 200 yards one MOA is going to be about two inches and so mm-hmm. on and so forth. And it just goes, you know, one MOA added on per hundred yards. That's yeah. that's kind of the rule of thumb. It's not exact, but it's close enough. And at some point in our conversation, Mariah and I said that one MOA was 10 inches at 500 yards. Yeah. So we just wanted to, <laughs> just, just wanted to patch over that. Yeah. It's not 10 inches. 500 yards would be approximately equal to five inches. Right. You know, I, I heard that in that episode too, and it 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 just kind of slipped out. And well, we I was gonna say it didn't sound like either one it. of you intentionally said no. that. Mm-hmm. I think it just kinda, no. <laughs> it was just kind of in the background. Yeah. <laughs> the next thing I I mentioned when I was talking about common powders for loading the thirty out six, I mentioned IMR forty three fifty, and then I also said forty one ninety eight. I meant to say forty eight thirty one, which is another bread mm. and butter, easy to find powder that's broadly used in a variety of cartridges. Yep. Instead, I said forty one ninety eight. And the 4198 powder is more suited for like the 4570, the 444 Marlin, yeah. the 222 Remington, you know, some of those faster burning rates mm-hmm. um, for those cartridges. Uh, the other thing that I said was that uh, hound hunting was not legal. And I had heard that from someone a long time ago, and I stand corrected. Uh, a friend of mine uh, wrote a message and said, by the way, hound hunting is legal. However, it does require a special permit. So I looked it up in the ADF and G website and under Black Bear, uh, yeah, if you go into the Department of Fish and Game, hunting and then Alaska hunting information, Alaska's game species, click on Black Bear. It Mm. says hunting black and brown grizzly bears. If you scroll down several paragraphs down, it says bait and dogs. And there's a small paragraph there. In some areas, black and brown grizzly bears may be taken with the use of bait then it goes on to say, dogs may be used to hunt black bear by permit issued at the discretion of ADF&G. Contact your area biologist for further details. Mm. So, I suppose it is a legal option. Yeah. And now that I know that's the case, I know a few folks with some blood dogs <laughs> that I might have to go take on that absolute yeah. 
uh, it, it would mountain, be fun. mountain of a task and just pick a spot and yeah. uh, see if, you know, I, I, I think that in the right circumstance, knowing the area well ahead of time and knowing where they would probably go for cover, mm-hmm. if you knew that you could like traverse some logging roads mm-hmm. and keep in the general area without having to cut through the woods nonstop with the dogs chasing a bear, if you could stay within a mile or two on a logging road of them, and then once you find that they tree the bear, right, right, then you can run in and not have to walk the entire like, so way. There's like a maze of, of right. roads and back right. valley. Yeah, exactly. Yep. And I, I've I've got a few areas in mind that I think that would work with, but mm-hmm. they are few and far between up here. <laughs> they are. Um, but doing that, I'd I'd be interested in trying it. So if you have hounds in Alaska and you want to go shoot a black yeah. bear sometime, let me know. Well, and you know, and so many people have varying opinions on that. And I, yeah. I really, I can't understand it really. Unless like, you've done it, you don't have any place to talk smack about it. Well, that, that's, and it's, that's it's my just, opinion. It's, yeah. It, it's a method of hunting mm-hmm. that I, I feel like, you know, I, I th- and I think we've said it before. If it's legal yeah. and ethical, yeah. leave it alone. Exactly. Right. Like, it's you know, like it's, long range shooting or I only shoot trad bow. Or, right. You know, there's so many different camps of, well, mm-hmm. I'm the most ethical because and right. then they, they go on to state their or, case. Or, you know, people that, and bear baiting is the exact same way. Yeah. You know, people yeah. talk about bear baiting and they That's want to true. talk bad about it. And then they're sitting right next to the sow they just shot on the side of the hill where That's cubs true. are bawling off in the bushes because they yeah. didn't wait long enough. Yeah. You know, so it's, <laughs> you know, adding the ability to be selective, which is another yeah. thing with right. hound hunting. You know, when they, when they tree a, a bear, yeah. you have the option to just pull your dogs and let the bear walk. Yeah. You don't have to kill it. Exactly. Worst thing that happened is it got scared. And guess what? It's a wild animal. It's been scared its entire life. Right. No. Like, so <laughs> unless you're you hunting know. with a homemade longbow wearing a loincloth. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh exactly. That's not the exact type of camo I'd want to wear up here, especially in mosquito time of well, year. If you wear it long oh, enough, man. your body will blend in. Oh yeah. <laughs> I'm sure it's rolling yeah. a couple mud pits. Right. There you go. <laughs> Help mask your scent too. Anyway, the final <laughs> thing I was gonna say is I mentioned the Socko rifles. Ah, the Socko. Socko, or as us freedom lovers call no. it, Seikos. Seikos. Uh, anyway, that's the American. Throw a little accent on it when you for those that aren't aware, Socko, or as Americans pronounce it, Seiko mm-hmm. is the same company. And it is <laughs> it is related to in that it is the um, the mother company, if you will, of mm-hmm. Tika rifles, which are vastly popular across the United States because they're more appropriately priced for a lot of the entry level folks. Yeah. They've gotten more expensive as they've added more options in the last number of years. But Tika actions are different than Sako actions. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the Tika barrels are manufactured by Sako. So they're made in the same factory, and they are both made in Finland. Yeah. Very nice guns, but think of the Sako rifle as like the premier version of a Tika. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. It's nicer stocks. It's nicer coatings on the steel, and the action is different. Now, right. on the 85 action, which I mentioned in the last episode, was discontinued because of its six o'clock on the bolt face location of the fixed blade ejector. Yeah. You did a really good job. And it was it was having problems in the longer cases, like the 375 Holland and Holland Magnum, where those long cases would get kicked up by that six o'clock ejector, Mm -hmm. and it would bounce it straight up instead of out to the side like a Model 70 would. Yeah. So what Sako did, and I actually found their new action, and I found a couple of videos about it. Uh, Sako actually has on their website several videos detailing it, Mm -hmm. and they haven't quite hit mainstream market in the states yet. There are a few of them available. 
but not readily. Yeah. They haven't been fully um, uh, re-infusing the market, if you will. Yeah. They're, they're not on the shelves in Fairbanks, for, for sure. And I, I can't even hardly find them for sale online yet. The main difference is they went away from that fixed blade ejector. They okay. didn't relocate it off to one diagonal side on, on, on the left side of the bolt face, looking down the barrel. Instead, they went to a full push feed design. Mm. They went to dual plunger ejectors, which is similar to like what the Christensen uh, right, push yeah. feeds are in their magnum chamberings. Yep. And so it does away with the fixed blade ejector, and then you are completely reliant on those dual plunger ejector springs to function every time. Now, Sako has had a line of, I think it's their TRG rifles. Um, that are more of like a military application. I heard one of the Sako guys mention that. So it sounds like they've already had that in place on some of their other guns in the past. Right on. And now they made the S90, which is the successor to the 85. Mm -hmm. Now they all use that dual plunger ejector system, which they think is very reliable, which in that event, as soon as the nose of of that spent case, or the unfired case for that matter, Mm -hmm. as soon as your cartridge clears that ejection port, the tension on the left side of that cartridge throws it out okay. to like yeah. three to five o'clock, mm-hmm. which is how most push feeds eject anyway, right? Right. So that's the main difference. They did retain the three lug system on the bolt. Okay. They did retain, I believe it's the same bolt lift degree angle. And they talked about making the bolt lift easier. Mm. Now on the Sockos, Obviously, just like the Tikas that we talked about mm-hmm. in the last episode, they do have a locking bolt safety. On the Sockos, they have a bypass button where you can have the rifle on safe with the bolt locked, but you can push a small button in front of the safety mm-hmm. to lift the bolt and unload the gun without coming off of safety. So when the rifle is in the fire position and you go to unload it or load it, the bolt lift has been made easier is another thing that they added. They also added built-in pick rails to the receiver. Hmm. So Sako used to only be compatible with proprietary Sako style rings. Now right. Leupold made rings to fit it, and but but usually folks would go with the Sako brand OptiLock rings, which I'm not going to get into all of what that is. <laughs> the new ones are still compatible to be used with OptiLock rings, but mm-hmm. now they also make them with the pick rail, so you can have a larger variety of scope mounting options. Those are some of the main differences, but I just wanted to mention the new S90 is on its way out, and I would, I, I'm would i going to have my hands on one as soon as I can find one locally. Yeah. Um, I'm very interested to see what that gun looks Calibrate like. That'd be awesome. That in. Uh, well, the, the one I have right now is a Sako 85, which doesn't have any ejection issues. Okay. Um, and, that, you know, w- with that fixed blade ejector, but mm-hmm. that's, be, that's because it's not the full length ultra magnum case how long have they been running that 85 action it's been a while quite a while but before that it was a 75 yeah uh, which hasn't been around for a while anyway the Mm -hmm. 85s have been around for and it has to have been at least 10 years or more i was gonna say for at least as long as i've been looking at yeah it's been a while uh as far back as i can remember right uh, being interested in them um but yeah that's so the one i've got right now in the 85 (laughs) fin light is a 30-06 is it and it shoots so so good Right. Yeah. It's an awesome. And we gun. were talking about that a little bit. At, at some point, uh, what we're going to have to put out a little, you know, video or something comparing the differences between the Sako mm-hmm. rifles mm-hmm. and the Tika rifles to right, show yeah. the big differences in, in the quality differences. It, right. It's it's the little things that make up the big differences. It really is. Yeah. I mean, in, in, if 
to the naked eye, you you almost can't tell the difference um, until you start looking at the features yeah, and everything exactly. like that. The, the they you know the Seikos definitely feel yeah. better like to yeah. to an experienced hand, um, but yeah, they're, they're essentially yeah. very similar functioning rifles, yeah. just with you know one's got higher QCs, yeah. you know, it's got higher you know just attention paid to it yeah. is, is how I would put it. So yeah. it's their premium line. So anyway, that's all I've got for last week. Awesome. Um, well, kind of along the same lines in that same uh, section of conversation when you guys were talking about all the different actions and all the different uh, features of rifles to go on. Um, yeah. One, you guys did a phenomenal job of breaking all that down. Um, I liked that you guys put in the, uh, the issues I'd experienced with my Bergara. Um, oh, yeah. Losing, yeah. losing rounds yeah. <laughs> out of the chamber. And, you Do know, you- and, and that's not... A, a knock on all 700 no. model actions mm-hmm. you know i mean i know plenty of people that don't have an issue with their their bolt opening up yeah it's like you had pointed out it, it has a very easy opening bolt even right. even you know with the safety on um there's no added right resistance in any way shape or form so uh which is awesome for shooting at the range yeah <laughs> i mean it, right. it, it does have one of the smoothest actions i think i've ever experienced but it's just a it, it's not great when you're going through thick brush right. and you're trying to get through you know right. stuff with it on your back and yeah. um yeah you just don't notice it comes open because you're not looking at your rifle all the time yeah um, i actually had to develop my own way of walking where i would sling it over my left shoulder and then kind of tuck the bolt underneath my or sorry my right shoulder and then tuck the bolt underneath my right elbow mm-hmm. as i was walking through thicker brush always have a hand just on it. Yeah. yeah just to make sure he's a rubber yeah. band <laughs> yeah right <laughs> yeah um but you know, and so I, I do really look for that feature of the locking bolt yeah. when it's on safe. Um, yeah. Now that's that's a, a feature I look for in every rifle I own. Another feature I look at, um, which you guys didn't mention, is the degree of bolt lift. Yes. Um, I really started tuning in bolt lift um, mm-hmm. on on rifles I like to hunt with. You know, I, I've always traditionally in the past always run. Um, or not always, but when I started, I always ran, uh, you know, Remington 700 style actions mm-hmm. or Mausers, which are both 90 degree bolt lifts. Yeah. And that's fine. And, it, it, and it's great. You know, it, it's, a, it's a traditional kind of, it's the, the, where it all started, where it all began. Yeah. But the, once I discovered the world of the short bolt lift, it changed my world. Um, and it gets into not just comfort and feel, but also functionality. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, talking about the, the Seikos and the Tikas, uh, Browning is actually in the same yes. category as them with a 60-degree yeah. bolt lift. Yeah. So you have a much shorter lift. Yeah. And Weatherby is even better. It's the shortest in the whole business. It's yeah. 54 degrees. I was just going to bring that up. Yeah, which is why I love my Mark V is because it matches all of my criteria. It locks the bolt yeah. closed on safe. You yeah. know, it has a short bolt lift. Um, where that really keys in as far as hunting goes is mm-hmm. reloading speed yeah. and, and it's amazing people. And I was one of them didn't, they'll deny it all day long. Oh, it can't make that big of a difference. It makes a big difference. You know, you don't think about how far you have to travel up yeah. when you're reloading a 90 degree bolt compared to say a Weatherby. Um, but it, it is a lot smaller of a movement up, which allows you to do your back and forth motion faster Mm -hmm. and then lock it back in the down position faster 
Um, and I know you had even commented on that, taking that Weatherby down to guide with yeah. when you got back compared yeah. to your It does your run Ruben. fast. Yeah. It does run and fast. And the reasons the Weatherby is able to have a lesser degree bolt lift mm-hmm. is because they have more lugs. Yep. Right. So that there's a lot less movement required to unlock those lugs. Exactly. Now, to yeah. that point, the Saco action is a three lug action, mm-hmm. which allows for a Correct. lesser bolt lift. The Browning X-Bolt is a three lug action, yep. which allows for a lower degree bolt lift. And just to specify, Weatherby Mark V actions have 54-degree bolt lift. The yeah. 307 is a Remington 700 clone. Mm-hmm. That's true. And the Vanguard is not as short of it's a bolt a lift either. Yeah, right. it's a Howa action. So the, that just applies to the Weatherby Mark V Correct. actions. Correct, yeah. Just for folks They're proprietary know. Mark V actions. Correct. Yeah. Um, but I really enjoy that feature. Uh, for me, that's that's a big thing now because not only does it make it faster reload time, yeah. um, you know, maybe when it counts the most, but the thing I noticed too is scope clearance. Yeah. You know, there's some, when you start putting these, these bigger scopes on and everything with a 90 degree bolt lift, yeah. there are times when it's not missing that scope by much, yeah. <laughs> you know, and when you're trying to work it with gloves on or something like that, yeah. uh, in certain situations, it can get a little tough. Yeah. I know running certain kinds of scope covers, right. like if you have the, the flip up, flip down covers on your, on your scope, on that Bergara actually, these i had a zeiss on it and i had tried to put a pair of those on and the bolt would come so close to that that scope that i actually had to take those off because it was causing it was rubbing against those yeah so uh that's another benefit of having a a, a smaller bolt lift yeah. is, is you get a lot more clearance between where your hand's going to be mm-hmm. and the scope so yeah that's just a feature i look for um everything else that you guys were talking about was uh pretty much yeah, on point so it's interesting that conversation you know, I've been talking about different rifle builds and cartridges and Wildcats I'm learning about and interested oh, yeah. in, right? And, um, you know, and all, most of it's pretty far in the future. Mm-hmm. I do have one Savage Action. I'm going to build something on one of these days. But um, it, that conversation really got me thinking a lot more about the type of action, mm-hmm. you know, I was going to look for. Yeah. Like, it was kind of like, oh, you know, if I can find an action that works, it's a good price. But after, like, you know, and I knew pretty much everything we talked about, but then that discussion really... Mm-hmm. You're gonna build a six five about, Creedmoor, aren't you? No, <laughs> no. I might build build a six five Wildcat of some sort. <laughs> you should just get a Creedmoor. No, I'm good. I'm good. Thanks. <laughs> I just love watching the heads explode against the Creedmoors. It's just so yeah. Much yours fun. does too. So, so the, the the heads no, don't explode doesn't. against the Creedmoor. It's how they. It's, it's how it's used. It's the Creedmoor fan, <laughs> and right. we can talk about that another time but oh uh, <laughs> always know, open for a debate if on you cartridges. shoot a 6.5 creed more good for you as long as you do it ethically oh it's a, it's a yeah it's I'm, just I'm not a, saying it's not a good cartridge it has been such a fanboy cartridge yes <laughs> and it still is yeah that i just it's like well you know and that's the funnest that's the the best part about it is it's it's just fun to jest about. Right. Like, it, it's just one of those things where you just jest about it and it's fun. The hunting like, industry hated the 270 when it came out. Oh, yeah. Because There's it always was, something it was to hate. not big enough. It wasn't a 30 out 6 mm-hmm. and everybody hated the 270. Well, and then you got the guys that don't like the PRCs even, you know, right. oh, just stick with the old school stuff. And yeah, people, Sure. People that, hated, that's what works for you. People right. hated the 260 right. Remington when it came out. Mm-hmm. And now they compare that with a 6.5 Creedmoor and say, well, it's better than a 6.5 Creedmoor. Yep. It's not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's well, the velocity difference on them? I'd have to look it up right okay. now. I say but, if it's similar, then 
depending on your build, but mm-hmm. yeah, but then it's you see exactly it's a factory gun right. to factory and that, and gun. The six five Creedmoor is a better choice, just like a seven Rem Mag versus seven PRC. Right. It does different things. That, it's right. not well, it's not and, an apple and to apple. That's comparison. where people get mixed up. Exactly, is right. they're comparing them as if they're the same thing. It's they're yeah. designed for different purposes. Right, you know, right. A lot of these older cartridges, the seven Rem Mag, even the three hundred Win Mag. Yeah, a lot of the old Weatherby cartridges, the original bunch, they're all based around the laser beam theory of light and fast bullets now you can shoot you can shoot heavier bullets through a 300 wind mag all day long you can yeah. shoot 210s 200s mm-hmm. um especially if you have the twist rate for it now a lot of those old tikas and whatnot were one in 11 twists Which rather than one in 10 the most annoying thing they've all <laughs> it been, is that's they, actually they, so that's they, they've all been changed back in the day that's why i left tika was because they ha- didn't have the twist rates for right. the bullets i wanted to shoot but that's all been changed. You know, Tika does now mm-hmm. do it in one one in 10 twists, so you can yeah. stabilize, you know, 200 grain bullets if you want to, sometimes a little heavier if you're yeah. lucky. All the Sako um, and Tika barrels are now tighter twist rates. Right. Um, by popular demand, I think they had to. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, then you start comparing it, even a, a 300 Win Mag with a one in 10, you know, you look at a 300 PRC, it's got a one in eight, right. or sometimes tighter than that right. in some configurations. Whoa. And so you're looking at being able to stabilize a much heavier bullet. That's right. a totally different ballpark at that point. You know, yeah, it's the same caliber, mm-hmm. but it, it achieves a different purpose. You know, one's designed for uh, light and fast. One's designed for heavy right. and slow. It's two different trains of thought as far as ballistics go. Now, and yeah. you, there is crossover. Like I said, you can right. put heavy bullets in a 300 wind bag. I've done it yeah. um, successfully with accuracy. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure you could put lighter bullets in a three, 300 PRC. Right. You know, it's not like a steadfast rule that one has to be one or the other, but they're just the design behind it is, yeah. is right. for different for purposes. Different. Yeah, exactly. Factory gun to factory gun. Yeah. That's where the difference is. Exactly. I was going to mention, I um, was talking to you about these, like these 375 and uh, 338 caliber rifles built for shooting like two miles, right? Mm-hmm. So they're super, super fast. They were designed, you know, the guy didn't like the shy tech. He said it was too overbore. So he designed a more efficient cartridge that got similar velocities with less powder, right? And, but he's shooting this, you know, in a 33, 36 inch barrel, mm-hmm. 350 grains at a one in seven twist, 350 grain bullet, right? One in seven <laughs> twist in a 375. What's your 375 H&H twist rate? Probably one in 12. One in 12 or one in 14. That's what my Ruger is. I, one I, in 12. I, I think both of mine are one in okay, 12. Okay. Some of the older ones were like one in 14s, but, yeah. um, you know, I think my, I might have one that's an older 1960s overseas, uh, manufacturer that, is, right. that, that could be a one in 14, right. but, I think, I, but, but I don't know. I think my 4570 is like a one in 18 and that's actually kind of fast for 4570. Huh? I, yeah. I, I don't know anything about them. So, but, and that's because Wait, well, what is yours? I think it's like a one in 18, which really? is actually pretty fast. Mine's yeah. a one in 24. Is it really? Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, I was saying, like I said, that's pretty fast. Which is funny because it's an 18 and a half inch barrel, so it doesn't even have one full revolution. <laughs> <laughs> that might be why mine's one in like 18. like throwing a football. You yeah. just get a half revolution <laughs> exactly. and it leaves your fingers. That might be why mine was designed with a one in 18. It is. Maybe. Yeah. You know, yeah. I don't, I don't Maybe. know. Yours is a newer rifle too, which, yeah. is make, which makes that kind of funny. But. <laughs> right. It's also a Henry. I think yours is a Marlin. It is so. a Marlin, which is better, right? Uh, they're both American made, so I'm they, not going to dog are, on either one. Six five Creedmoor is better than either one of them. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it'll it'll kill a grizzly, as we've seen. So yes, it will. Shout out. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but all right, well, hey, let's take a break real quick. Uh, I have one more thing I want to touch on, but then we'll dive in. Hammer Bullets produces what we at The Northern Hunter consider to be the most premium and best working monolithic bullets on the market today. 
These bullets are easy to load, extremely accurate, and best of all, they're always in stock and ready to ship. The guys at Hammer designed them so that after penetrating the hide of an animal, it sheds its petals, initiating a massive energy dump while retaining the rear shank for maximum penetration. These bullets are built with 100% focus on how they perform on game, and their proprietary designs produce great VCs with specialized pressure grooves for amazing inherent accuracy and speed. They have a minimum expansion velocity of 1800 feet per second, which allows for long range shots, but with no maximum velocity, making them perfect for every cartridge from your granddaddy's old 3030 to the high velocity round like the Weatherby 3378 without having to worry about your bullet failing. To view their expansive selection and find the perfect match for your hunting needs, go to hammerbullets.com and use discount code THENORTHERNHUNTER to drop the hammer on your next adventure. All right, so I just wanted to double back on the last part of that episode uh, from last week as well. So with the reloading question, um, that was the one I really wanted to be here for. <laughs> right. it, it pained me to not be here for that. Um, but I, I think you guys did a really good job. Um, I wanted to say, you had mentioned it, it towards the end of that, that mm-hmm. uh, spiel. Uh, there are kits that you can buy. There are. That have... Pretty much everything you need to get started in reloading. Right. Um, the two that I would recommend, the Hornady Lock and Load Kit, which is the one you mentioned. I'd mention that one. Uh, they, the RCBS also makes, they have a couple different styles of kits. I haven't seen any of, of their kits. Lyman kits are pretty good. Yeah. So, and the reason I mentioned those two is they're readily available in almost any box store you can go to. So, like, Cabela's carries them, Sportsman's carries them. Well, sometimes. So, <laughs> if they're in stock, yeah. But they should, you know, if, they, if they're in stock, they'll right, be there. Right, right. Um, with those kits, they're not going to have, they're going to have everything you need to get started. And the reason I say to go that route as my recommendation is because it's going to save you some money overall. Uh, e- buying each one of those components individually will equal a bigger cost than what they're charging you for the kit. Now, what you can do if you're buying individual pieces mm-hmm. uh, is you can buy you know, the better versions of certain things and you're going to get a little right. bit more specialized gear. Like the scale that comes with those kits is not the greatest scale in the world. No, it's, it's not. also that they have a second cylinder, which is what distributes the powder into the scale rather than having everything built together oh, really? um, as one piece. You know, the they have the shell holder. The other big thing is your your case prep tools. <laughs> your case prep tools are gonna be very lacking. They're most likely gonna be hand tools in either one of those mm-hmm. kits, no matter I, I think. I think RCBS has like a, what are they called? The, the Supreme kit, like the highest end kit that they I have. I looked at it. That one's going to push, you know, well, well above a starter's price point. But I believe that one does have right. some mechanized uh, brass prepping tools. But getting started with one of these will let you know if you even want to get into reloading. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to spend probably about 400 bucks, give or take, on a kit that will come with a press. It comes with a, a powder scale it comes with the cylinder to load to distribute your powder into the scale it does come with some brass prep tools and at that point once you've dabbled a little bit mm-hmm. if you don't like it you're only 400 dollars invested right right in a lot of cases the press itself is going to run you, you know, several hundred dollars if you get a good press and yes the presses that come in these kits are not the top of the line best all the features in the world presses but i can mm-hmm. tell you from personal experience in multiple different cartridges i have loaded half moa rounds out of the regular old hornaday 
Right. right. So you're not shorting yourself um, any performance necessarily if you do this all the steps appropriately and if you reload with diligence, mm-hmm. which kind of leads me into my next point. Uh, one of the biggest benefits of reloading, you guys had mentioned a bunch, and you mentioned a little bit about this as well, but you know, it's not just that you can likely get your ammo cheaper, right? Once you add all the, com- right. the cost for your components and you figure out what your price per shot is, especially at today's rates, like you guys were talking about, a lot of stuff is pushing over $100 for a box right. of 20. It's not hard to beat that price when you're reloading. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so you gotta, you do have that benefit. In the long run, it's probably going to save you a little bit of coin. Now you also have your startup costs. You've mm-hmm. got all the costs of the of the the gear and the equipment and everything. So you got to take that into account too. If you wanted to do some kind of a breakdown of like when am I going to break even mm-hmm. after buying all the reloading right. equipment? If I had just stuck with factory ammo, you know that that might get a little depressing if you look at those numbers. But uh, it will save you a little bit of money in the mm-hmm. long run. You also have the benefit of being able to have basically ammo on demand. You can make right. fifty rounds when there's nothing on the shelves, as long as you've stockpiled your components ahead of say, time. Yeah. You know, you don't want you don't want to wait until the shortage to go buy components. But if you right. if you buy a pound of powder every time you see the powder you like and you just put it to the side and you know because mm-hmm. you know that's the powder you like, that's the right. powder your gun likes. Uh, and you just you buy one pound this week and two weeks later you see another pound at the next store. Oh yeah, right. buy that. You see a box of primers, oh yeah, I'll buy that. You're never going to be out of ammo. Right. You know, and, and you can order brass pretty easily or re- reuse factory brass. So there is that nice aspect. Mm-hmm. The thing I like the most about it, though, is that you get a round that is tailor-made for your gun. Mm-hmm. That's my favorite part about reloading. That's where the nerd aspect comes yeah. into reloading. It's a science of, of mayhem, you know? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> because the, the coolest part for me is that humans figured out how to put a little dinky piece of metal a thousand yeah. yards away and more, you know? Right, and nowhere it's going to Multiple hit. thousands yeah. of yards away. And know exactly where it's going to hit. That blows my mind. But I know how the I know how it's done. Mm-hmm. Now I don't know how the guy figured you know, right. the progression to get from you know slinging rocks out of a, a, a sling or shooting sticks out of a bow. And some of those guys were really turned good into too. yeah, and they were really good too. But uh, you know, it's just a, it's a fascinating topic to get into uh, with reloading. And we will do uh, some reloading content in depth as far as what our preferred methods are, how we do it. And especially regarding hammer bullets, you know, hammer bullets are easy to load for, but you do have to be careful, especially depending on which ones you get. Right. Um, so we'll, we'll do some, some more content on that in the future. We've gotten a lot of uh, interest in that. We've got a lot of questions. We try to answer everybody directly if we can. So uh, if you have any reloading questions, by all means, uh, hit us up. But the big difference between having a tailor-made round for your gun specifically and mm-hmm. having factory ammo is a little thing called the node. Now, when you're reloading, anybody who has reloaded for a while knows what the node is, but if you haven't reloaded and you're just thinking about getting into it, that's how premium ammunition gains a reputation for being accurate in a multitude of rifles. The node is essentially, it's specific bullet to bullet, and what it is is it's a uh, sweet spot, you could say, in the velocity and seating depth and you know different com- different things that you put together to make a cartridge for a rifle you they what they do is they find it's an it's look at it like an arch 
That's the best way to think of it. Look at it like an arch. At the far left side, you have no accuracy. Mm-hmm. You start building accuracy, building accuracy, and then you plateau a little bit for whether it's a couple grains of powder or a little bit of differentiation in, in your seating depth. Mm-hmm. And then once you deviate too much, it starts to taper off again. When you find the middle of that arch, that's your most accurate point. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's when what they call finding the node. Right. That's, and that's what premium ammunition lines do is they will, that's why you kind of pay an extra, extra price is because they put that effort into it. Mm-hmm. So they will find that node. And what that does is when you're in the center of that, you have some play in being able to go a little bit to the left, a little bit to the right of that center, and you're still going to be fairly accurate. Mm-hmm. That's how they're able to get away with saying, you know, a one MOA guarantee or a sub MOA right. guarantee is because, and like you had pointed out, Dalton, with the, it's a three shot guarantee, not a five shot. Right. And I'll get to that important de- detail in a minute. But the, what it allows them to do is when they're mass manufacturing that ammunition, uh, they're able to not have to look at every single little feature in excruciating detail like we do when we're reloading. Mm-hmm. If they have a tenth of a grain more powder in one than the other, or a tenth of a grain less, it's not going to be the end of the world because they're on that node. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it also allows them to cater to a, a variety of rifles, whether right. it's light barrel, heavy barrel. You know, most chamberings are pretty much going to be the same because they're running off of Sammy spec chamberings. Mm-hmm. So you can pretty reliably say your chamberings are going to be the same, but there are a lot of other features uh, that create that standard. Now, there's a lot of different nodes to be had, even with the same bullet. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's say you took whatever, uh, whatever grain shock hammer you wanted to throw right. out of a 30 caliber, right? Uh, you take that out of a 30 out six. It's going to be on a different node than say it would be in a thirty three seventy eight Weatherby, right? Right. There, one's going to be exceptionally faster. So there's varying bumps you can get, but the problem with factory ammunition is that when you are buying it, like you guys had pointed out with the standard deviation, you're going to see a lot more of it on on factory ammunition. That's because they're mass producing it. What that can lead into is what's commonly referred to as flyers. Yeah. And those, it, that is the biggest reason you do a five-shot group rather than a three-shot group. It's very easy to get away with three shots all touching relatively close to the mm-hmm. same hole. Once you introduce five-shot groups, now you're adding more, uh, more opportunity for the deviation to rear its ugly head, basically. Mm-hmm. Now, while you might feel pretty confident in the fact that you still had four rounds that were pretty close together and just, ah, this one flew off to the side. Right. You never know if that one is the one that's in your chamber. That's what, that's what, that's what gets into my head is, is that one that for some reason was three inches to the side. And I know I did my part with mm-hmm. shooting and we'll talk about all the shooting positions in a little bit. That's what, gets into my head with factory ammo and not all of it is is gonna have flyers right right? that's in large part going to be rifle to rifle you know you might have a magical rifle that just shoots all factory ammunition great you know there are companies that make rifles that are really set up for that um but you always run that risk of a flyer depending and and that's part of why you practice with different cartridges that's part of why you try different rounds see what Mm -hmm. weights your gun likes see what bullets your gun likes right. you know if you if you know you like 
hammers, maybe mm-hmm. order a couple different flavors of hammers and see what your gun shoots the best. Right. It'll likely shoot all of them because they shoot super yeah. accurate. <laughs> and if you would like to go buy some hammers, use code Northern Hunter at discount exactly. or yeah. at that checkout for a discount. I will um, say one other thing mm-hmm. with that is the, um, you know, the node. Yeah. That may not be your rifle's node. Correct. Yeah. If you have a different twist rate, different length of barrel. Yeah. Different if you're bedded instead of, um, you know, free float, like mm-hmm. all of that stuff will adjust what your ammo does. Right? Yeah, it will. And, and there's, and that, that's kind of the thing, you know, with accuracy mm-hmm. there's, there is a lot of different features, you know, cause you do have to have the stability of the twist rate matching the weight and length of the bear, of right. the bullet. Um, a lot of people don't realize that either, that length actually plays a more significant role in that than weight right. does. But then that changes like what your note is in your powder chart, right? Right. Whether it needs to be faster or slower, depending exactly. on how fast the, the, the bullet's spinning um, after being slung out of a, you know, one in 10 versus a one in 11 maybe. Mm-hmm. Because there are guys that will stabilize. I, I've seen it firsthand. They will stabilize 200 grain bullets out of a one in 11 twist barrel for a 300 wind right. mag. You're not it takes do a that lot of a, work. With a monolithic, probably. <laughs> probably not with a monolithic, yeah. Right. But, you know, because again, you add that length right. because there's no lead core and the copper exactly. is lighter. Exactly. So the length will, will get you on that one. But, I mean, if you have the dedication, um, you, can, you can achieve that. Mm-hmm. And, and that is the beautiful thing about reloading is once you get the equipment, once you get the, the setup, you, you've got the seven different manuals, you've got right, <laughs> you right. know, all that stuff. Um, you're right there. Yeah. You are right there from having a, a, a bullet that is not just the general node. It's not, you know, a one size fits all mm-hmm. load. It is specific for your rifle, for your barrel weight, for your barrel length, for your twist rate, you know, and you can kind of warp what most guns would be able to do with factory ammunition, um, and, and manipulate it to your own purpose. Um, now, part of what, and, and I'll let you, you clarify this here in a second, was when you're reloading uh, for your own rifle, don't fall into lazy reloading practices. You're going to, if you're brand new at this and, and you're entering into the reloading world, be careful who you listen to and what you you know, fall into. There's a lot of people that'll tell you hunting bullets don't just don't shoot sub them away. They just don't do it. They're, they're like, it, it's just not a thing. You can reload all you want. They're, you're hunting bullets like Accubons, like, you know, and, and there's some like match grade style ones. Like if you look at mm-hmm. the ELDX, it's pretty, it looks like a match bullet. It's got, you know, it's very long. It shoots it's very, quite well. And it, it shoots phenomenal. Don't get me wrong. But like, you know, and, and some of the, the, the more, I guess you could call them blunt bullets, you know, that yeah. don't have the, the, the proper setup for long range shooting anyways. The more traditional bullets that come beat up out of the box. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah core locks. Exactly. Like that, you know? yeah. yeah. It's like, you know, those ones, maybe it would be a little harder to get to sub them away. But like, I have personally loaded many, many hunting bullets mm-hmm. to sub them away with five shot groups. It's really and not no that hard flyers. to do. And it's really not that hard as long as you follow the proper steps. Correct. You just can't be lazy about it. Um, people also say brass prep is optional. You know, um, you, brass prep is not optional. I'm just going to throw that out there right now. If you're getting into reloading, watch a bunch of videos on brass prep. Make mm-hmm. sure you're doing it properly. Make sure, you know, the brass prep should take just as long as the loading the bullet into the, if, if not longer, takes longer, actually. Yeah, I was yeah, going to say, it's, case by yeah. case. Yeah, it, 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 goes, it takes longer. Pain in the butt. 
It is. And, and, and it makes your back hurt and it's annoying, but you know, it, that's, you know, what is accuracy at the end of the day? Consistency. Consistency. By making sure you do the exact same thing to every single case, right. making sure you're measuring your exact load to every single um, grain, mm-hmm. exact, whether it's to the 10th, you know, if you're shooting 70.2 grains, right. you know, make sure every single one has 70.2 grains in it. Don't right. skimp. Right. You know, don't, don't short yourself. Um, but you're going to hear a lot of people say it's not necessary. You're going to hear a lot of people say, they don't do this. They don't do that. Mm-hmm. You're already at the finish line. If you have all of that equipment, if you have all of that gear, you have your press, you have your, your scale, especially once you start upgrading things. Like if you mm-hmm. buy one of these kits, one of the first things you're probably going to want to upgrade is your brass prep station. And you're going to get a nice proper brass prep station. Right. That'll make your life a lot easier. And your scale. And, and then the very next thing is your scale. Yes, you're going to want to get a nice, Some nice of those scale. Lyman's kit, it was a little more than Hornady's, mm-hmm. but it actually came with a really nice uh, auto measure yeah. with the scale. I love the auto measures. They're so nice. Right. Um, but, but yeah, so you just want to make sure you're doing everything proper. Now, with that, I think there had been some, some uh, talk about the standard deviation thrown mm-hmm. around in the last one. You know, and, and I'll give you a chance to, to, talk on that and what you were talking about last time that has a lot of varying features mm-hmm. um on what creates standard deviation what fixes standard deviation um but talk about what you were you were saying in the last episode there all right so in the last episode dalton talked about how guys who reload they're looking for bringing getting a better standard deviation mm-hmm. specifically he was talking about velocity mm-hmm. right and what your bullets are coming under the barrel out, right? What's your muzzle velocity? Yeah. And how does it differ? You know, and I think I mentioned that I've chronoed multiple rifles shooting different loads mm-hmm. of a premium hunting ammunition that is and getting deviations of 50 to 60 feet per second, mm-hmm. which is a lot. That and is Like a lot. you said, yeah. it's, they try to shoot for the node that most of those rifles are built in. will shoot, shoot it good. And most of them mm-hmm. do it fine and you don't ever notice right, right. until you put on a chrono and go oh my i should reload you right. have chronographed factory ammo at 50 to 60 uh, 50, 50 to 60 feet per second of standard deviation yes you have yes which yeah. brands uh well hornady federal mm-hmm. um really and some others those are two i know for sure yeah yeah and especially once you get out of the premium lineups it gets pretty bad pretty quick because yeah. i've chronoed nosler trophy grade mm-hmm. barnes hornady and several federal ones. And the most I've ever had was like 25. Really? Premium yeah. ammunition though. Yeah. So. They're going to put a little bit more effort into that. I will yeah. say um, most of the time, that's what it is. It's around mm-hmm. 20, 25, 20 to 25 is what you're going to see. Yeah. Uh, however, once in a while, there's what James said, there's a flyer. Mm-hmm. And it may not fly off the target. It may shoot just as accurate as the rest of them. But it just all of a sudden, like everything was say 2850. And it's twenty eight or twenty seven ninety, yeah, right. And everything else is really close, but that one it wasn't. Yeah, huh. I, that's what I've seen. That's where I've seen that. It's not. Most of them are the same, but and that's okay. that's somebody shooting more than like three rounds too, right? I was just right, curious right. what you'd seen that in, but so anyway, and that was you know, and that's all like ot six and seven mil and that kind of stuff, right? Mm-hmm, but yeah. it, it wasn't even my guns. It was somebody else that wanted to use it, right? Yep. Um. Now, what? Um. What I so so standard deviation and your velocity, your muzzle velocity. What mm-hmm. are you achieving, right? Now, I said most guys, when they're reloading, they don't try to pay attention to standard deviation. 
I need to correct what I said because what I meant was right. The way it came out was wrong. Okay. <laughs> what I meant was most guys aren't trying to load, specifically trying to find mm-hmm. the node that that powder burns in. Right? right. Yeah. They're looking, you know, they're trying to load consistently, like you said, mm-hmm. but a lot of times they're looking more for velocity, even if there is a little bit more st- deviation in the velocity, if they're trying to get, reach a specific higher velocity. I would say that's more a thing with hammers because they shoot so accurately. The, um, you know, I, with with right. a lot of the other bullets that I've shot, mm-hmm. the especially lead core, right? You're shooting more for accuracy than you are for speed. You're right. you're trying to see what groups the tightest. Well, there's, there's a because, balance you're trying to strike. Right now, and, you want to group the tightest at the fastest you can. Right, but your your primary goal is what groups best. And that's what I meant. Yeah, a lot of guys aren't going to spend multiple trips to the range mm-hmm. just trying to reach a specific you know standard deviation of velocity right. as long as everything's shooting accurately right i've shot hammers at up to four and five if not more but at least four and five grains of different mm-hmm. in half grain increments yeah and grouped without even trying mm-hmm. you know in, in one and a half moa and four or five grains of powder right. you know and we're talking several hundred different feet per second right which is insanely well, good and, and that's one of the things with hammer bullets is they're they have a very wide right. node where it will just work right. like it just they just fly you know and, and again you know with their there's the, the additional stabilizing mm-hmm. factors like barrel twist and things like that um you know, they, they just stabilize so good they do and, and i i i'm not just trying to harp you know that they're such good bullets i mean just because we're we're sponsored mm-hmm. by them i was you know i had a, a shopping cart full of hammers long before we were ever sponsored by him. Um, so, but they just, they have a very forgiving load, load window there. It makes um, them easy to load for. Some of them, not, you know, not, not some hammers, some bullets, right. not so much. Well, it's a very small window of like a half grain of mm-hmm. powder can be the difference between a two inch group and a three quarter inch group. Or, you know, a little bit difference in your seating depth, whether you're, you know, uh, two thousandths out or mm-hmm. i've had to load them i mean my goodness uh what was those uh i was just talking to you the ablrs i was trying to load yeah, that's in, right. in my 300 that. i had to put those 0.12 off the lands which is yeah. insane yeah i mean that is the world's most insane amount of jump ever and it took me a long time to get there because <laughs> you're like what's wrong because <laughs> right? I, I was not well if you do there. like i do when you go to when you're after you've done all your brass prep and all yeah. this stuff you're like all right well i'm finally ready to put put some bullets together yeah what length am i going to load these two mm-hmm. and you put your gauge in the gun and you push your bullet out and you do that several times you get your overall length number then you start measuring off the ojive and then you come back two thousands right mm-hmm. speaking of which does it bother you when people say that wrong in videos what do you mean oh give i don't think i've ever heard him say really? that. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> i've seen so many so many videos of guys talk about their O-give. <laughs> their O-give in their lanes? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> O-jive. Yeah. And lands. Yeah. yeah. Um, smash the lands. <laughs> smash the lands. You know, and some bullets you have to, honestly. Right. Oh, um, that can increase your pressure. So don't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, you know, and, and, and you did make a good point. You know, starting at Sammy Speck and then pushing your way out from there is, is a great way to do it. Right. You know, you, that's a, a pretty surefire way to make sure you're not going to blow anything up. Um, but I, I just, I wanted to, to put that out mm-hmm. there that, you know, the, the way that sounded, right. <laughs> you know, um, what I, and I knew that wasn't what you intended, but you know, you'll hear so many different people talk mm-hmm. about reloading for hunting rounds and 
it just, they, they say how you don't have to do this step. You don't have to do that step. You don't have to trim your brass every time. You don't right. have to do this. That's all well and good. And yes, it will fire, but you're losing the benefit of reloading right at the finish line. You're right there. Right. You know, it, it's not going to take you more than a couple trips to the range and a little bit of YouTube and research mm-hmm. to, to dial in that stuff. And like standard deviation is not the thing you focus on. Right. It's a result of being proficient. Right. You know, and, and again, there's more things than just powder load and, and whatnot that affect standard deviation. You've got, you know, you've, you've got to make sure your, um, your seating depth is consistent. Your neck you know, length. Your neck your length press, is right? consistent. Um, even certain rifles are just going to have inherently different, you know, uh, pressures from shot to shot, even if it's minute, because right. if you don't have a good tight locking bolt that mm-hmm. keeps that in the exact same position in that chamber every time. Um, people run into this issue with uh, cheap ARs, you know, um, and, and semi-automatics are inherently a little bit less accurate than than bolt-action mm-hmm. rifles. Not to say you can't make an AR exceptionally accurate, and people do it all the time. Right. But you have to buy the right components. You have to know what you're doing, and you have to make sure that you are getting a good bolt lock every single time because right. any minute deviation can make the big difference. That's why the more expensive rifles are more expensive is they're, they're focusing on those, that that super tight tolerances right. a little, uh, the sm- those little things take a lot more time and money they to do. produce consistently right that's why like you said that's why the premium ammunition costs more yes right now you're gonna if you get online and start watching reloading videos i'm just gonna mention this you're gonna start seeing things like turning your necks mm-hmm. and um and neck concentricity mm-hmm. those kinds of things my knowledge those are those are the match shooters that are really focused on those things yes. if you really want to get consistent you can focus on all those things and you yeah. will have a better product because of it. You will. I really focus on like the things we've mentioned in consistency that really matter, your brass mm. prep, your seating depth and your powder amount. Yep. Or if you, if you get all those right, you're yeah. not going to, you know. And it's amazing how you can get half inch groups all day long right, just with, doing a little bit of toying around with that. With, you know. With not a, a lot of the greatest equipment either. Right. Well, and I've done it several times over with the, the Hornaday lock right. and load kit. I, I'm, I'm currently using partially my setup and partially my dad's setup just because yeah. I don't really have a spot set up in my house for it yet. <laughs> so I'm still using his old Lyman, um, old Lyman turret press, mm-hmm. right? Which like the turret has movement in it, right? Mm-hmm. Now, as long as it's consistent every time you, as long as the movement's consistent every time you load, but I check every single round or at yeah. least every other round for overall length. Yep, absolutely. Because if, sure, if I had, if honestly, if I had your classic pressed, I probably wouldn't be checking every round. You know, I, I still do it too. it should be a lot more accurate just because it's going it, to, it's, it's not moving, right? <laughs> well, it's not moving, but the inherent, you know, the inherent um, movement of forcing a round in there mm-hmm. every single time, I have seen it change a little right. bit. Well, now, what I like to do is, you know, I will set up my dies ahead of time. Mm-hmm. And when I, figure out my, my uh, seating depth, I will lock that thing down for everything it's worth. Right. But I've still had it where I will come back six months later to load up some more 300 wind mag. Oh, and, you absolutely check every time you load. it's a little bit different. Absolutely check every time you load. But making sure you keep that consistency, you know, just because, ah, oh, man, it's only a thousandth off. Well, mm-hmm. you know, it might not be the end of the world. You're still going to hit the target. Right. You know, but... It's, it's the difference between having a tailor-made round right. versus a one-size-fits-all. 
That's the biggest thing to focus on. That's the biggest thing to not fall into the trap of, well, I'll just skip this step because I'm still going to hit the pie plate at hundred yards. Right. You know, it's, you're defeating the purpose at that point, just you buy know, factory ammo. I know somebody but, that, that looked at the Nosler, they don't think they had the book, but they had the print off, right? For mm-hmm. their rifle. Yeah. And they, they have said, everything online too for free. They do, they do yeah. which I like, but I still have a manual because I just <laughs> yeah. like having the manual, right? Yeah. I like being able to break out my five books and <laughs> right. find out which ones have the information I want and, yeah. and compare it all to come up with what I'm wanting to do. Because mm-hmm. I just do that with tabs in my browser. <laughs> yeah. It's just not the same, right? And you're an older school guy than I am. Come I on. Know, that's the weird thing, right? <laughs> <laughs> I use that information too, but I just, I yeah. like having the books, but, um, <laughs> with with manuals mm-hmm. your Hodgdon manual and your Hornady manual may have the same bullet mm-hmm. and the same powder and list two completely different charge amounts yeah I had an instance with the 4570 where Hodgdon starting load was Hornady's max load yep so I did some research why is this and well Hornady was just playing it safe mm-hmm. I knew my rifle could handle what Hodgdon was saying I had a lot of issues like why can't I get any yeah. velocity right yeah. I went to the Hodgson numbers. Everything was right. But that's where comparing all those things. Well, and and you got to be careful in comparing too. Now, then this is the hard part you're going to run into loading hammer bullets mm-hmm. like everybody listening here should. Um, the <laughs> <laughs> I like how you did that. Yeah. You know, there's no reloading book right now. Right. When you're looking at data from even other monolithic bullets, mm-hmm. you, which is probably the best ones to start with. If it you're, you're going to utilize any data, utilize other monolithic bullets, you have to understand each bullet has a different construction. Right. Each bullet has its own, you know, uh, where you know, what kind of ogive does it have? Exactly. It might have a different kind of ogive on it. Is it bow tail or flat based? Different is length it, of ogive. Yeah, it's a different length of ogive. How, how many how, pressure bands does yeah, it have? Yeah, if any. Yeah, Some don't right. have any. You know, how much bearing surface is there that's going to be right. actually putting is it resistance a harder on harder or that? softer monolithic? Exactly. Right. And right. so that can alone be the difference between, and I don't know if, how these compare to each other, but let's say... Uh, what is the Nosler one? The E tip. E tip. That the one has E-tip no bands on versus it. the GMX or the right. CX now, right? Yeah. Comparing the load data between those two could be apples to oranges, just right. because of differences in bullet design. Even though they're both monolithic bullets, I'm sure it is. Even yeah. if you're looking at the same mm-hmm. powder, yeah, it, one might have a very different charge based yes. on the pressures that bullet's going to right. produce. Yes. Um, I want to continue this conversation, but let's take a break real quick, and then we'll dive. All right, folks, we all know that one of the most common mishaps in hunting is damage to your rifle scope. Last year, I found the solution to that problem with the Stealthy Hunter rifle cover. It wraps around your scope and actions securely to protect it from getting knocked off of zero or even severely damaged. Stealthy Hunter also has a glassing pad and a wide variety of supplements for the outdoorsman, such as protein powder, CBD products, turmeric, and gut health supplements. They also make a lightweight trauma kit weighing in at just 14 ounces that includes everything you need and nothing you don't for all of your backcountry medical emergencies. To shop all of their equipment and supplements, go to StealthyHunter.com and enter the discount code at checkout, The Northern Hunter, to save on your order today. All Stealthy Hunter equipment is proudly made in the USA. All right, so this is going to take a little bit of a different turn than I expected for this episode, but I'm really liking what hey, we're going like here. So <laughs> we'll talk about the shooting aspect probably in the next right. one. So. We'll just say, Yvonne, here's all your answers. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yvonne so, or Ivan, it could be. <laughs> let us know. Let us know. Yeah. Um, but 
So let's talk a little bit about our reloading processes. Okay. I know we said we'll do some content on that in the future. We will do some more mm -hmm. in-depth content on that in the future. But just a general overview of how you and I do things um, once you've gotten one of these kits. Now, I mentioned the Hornaday Lock and Load kit mm -hmm. and the RCBS kit, both of which are perfectly good starter kits. Um, but you had just commented on one. You want to bring that up real quick? So... Uh, I checked out Lee's website when you were talking about those mm. um, because I mentioned some of the really, really low-cost Lee presses. Like, I mean, they have, yeah. they have one that's like 65 bucks. And for right? anybody listening, Lee is one of the oldest names in reloading. They're, they are, and they produce very quality equipment mm -hmm. at a very low cost, yeah. right? I have a set of Lee dies that cost me like 35 bucks. That's cheaper than RCBS, yeah. right? And RCBS is your basic, mm. right? And, and it was a three-set instead of a two-set. Anyhow, uh, so Lee has the 50th anniversary breech lock challenger kit, which is 229, and they have the bench prime press kit, which is 268. I'm not going to go into what the differences are and what they have and what they don't. But, but each one's going to have a little bit better stuff. Is, is right, the general gist right? Yeah. And then they have the breech lock challenger kit, which is 259. Mm -hmm. um, and those, each one of those should just like you know the lock and load and the RCBS kit or the Lyman kit, they should have pretty much everything you need to mm -hmm. get started. To at least get a few rounds loaded and see what you think and what you want to change, right? Yeah. No, that's a, that's a great option as well. I I hadn't even looked into those ones to be honest with you. Um, but th that's kind of the cool thing about these starter kits is there's there's a bunch of different companies that make them, and they're gonna give you enough stuff to get off the ground. Mm -hmm. They're gonna give you enough to dabble. Um, now what that'll look like is what we're about to talk about here, and we'll also talk about the things you should upgrade and why. Yeah. Um, now, so obviously, number one, if you're going to start reloading, uh, is make sure you're getting quality components. Yes. So whichever one of these kits looks the best for you, mm -hmm. you buy the one that looks the most quality for what you're trying to do. Right. They're all single stage. So go, you know, when you're starting reloading, you should start on a single stage press. If you ask right. me, that's going to give you the most amount of control off the bat. Once right. you've got an idea of what you want to do, maybe you figure out you can run um you know other styles of presses there's a whole bunch of them out there right um then well, you, you can maybe alter what you're doing um but starting with a single stage is just mm -hmm. it, it's going to give you a lot of control and and it's a slower process so you get to really kind of feel out every step right um the next thing is brass making sure you're getting quality brass um you don't want to be getting cheap brass that's just going to crack on you you know i hate to dog on remington but their brass is horrible. Um, so don't, you can reload them probably, I don't know, what do you think, three times? I don't know. But I've reloaded some, but I haven't reloaded enough to know. Yeah. It's just, it's just not the highest quality right. brass out there, it, which for, it's not really designed for that. If, although, that being said, don't throw away like factory brass right just yeah. because it's a brand that may not be very good if you can get three loads out of it that's three loads that's three loads that'll get you off the ground right now it, if you are someone who shoots some of these better more premium uh brands of ammo mm -hmm. say nozzler or barnes right those both have great brass right even in their their factory Lapua. loads you save those yeah lapua um there's a bunch of really good ones mm -hmm. even honestly even the uh the Federal premium stuff. Federal the, Norma. The nickel, the nickel plated the nickel brass. Plated brass. I That's, like that it's good brass. stuff. Now, here's where you need to be careful with this. Mm -hmm. Do not mix head stamps. Right. Um, yeah. Seven mag, three hundred win mag. 
No. <laughs> don't mix like nickel plated with Nosler oh. regular brass, right? Oh. You don't want to be well, using yeah. half Barnes, half Nosler, half nickel plated. Don't throw them um, all in a bag and then just exactly. them all. Separate your head stamps because what you're, you're not going to find a ton of difference, mm-hmm. but each one has a little bit thicker or thinner walls. Right. Each one might, you know, have slight variances that'll create differences in pressure, right. which will create accuracy issues down the line. And the whole, you know, like we just talked about, you can do all of the simple steps that people talk about mm-hmm. and skip all the steps that they talk about skipping. Right. And yeah, you'll have the same exact accuracy as factory ammunition, but why would you do that if you're already here? Like right. you already have all right. the components. It just takes a couple more days of research right. and a little bit more time at the range and more money in components. Sure. You yeah. know, that, yeah. that is a factor. You know, if you only have so much gunpowder, you don't mm-hmm. want to play around too much. But um, my, th- my thought is why not? Right. Like. I agree. I will say on that note specifically, mm-hmm. if you're shooting a sh- old straight wall lever action like 4570 or 444 Marlin, mm-hmm. in that case, talking about cases um you're right that's a max that's a max 200 yard rifle right max right absolute max with a really light bullet moving really fast yeah right in that case you're you know you could probably change cases and hardly notice anything that it will change pressures and you should check yes you should check you should same with changing primers and yeah and and especially that's another thing to, to touch on too is don't push your your pressures mm-hmm. right don't and and people have different thoughts on this but not reloading for the hottest load you can you know a lot of people talk about finding the pressure and backing off one you know or one grain so let me clarify right. that. you know find where you see pressure signs and then back off one grain that works don't get me wrong mm-hmm. that is that is good you're you're gonna be fine there but if you're that close to the mark already and you start changing brass, that's when you could be in danger. Right, that's if where you, you want to start lower. If you find the middle ground, which is mm-hmm. what I typically do. I'm not shooting for speed. I'm shooting for accuracy, so I don't care about the speed. I'll figure out the speed later. Um, when you're in the middle ground of what your rifle likes to shoot, or what your rifle can shoot, per mm-hmm. se, now I have a Weatherby, which is rated like 90,000 PSI or something like that. <laughs> it's stupid. But, um, but, then you have a little bit more playroom. Mm-hmm. Then it's it might not blow your rifle up. It just might be a little bit different point of impact or something right. like that, right? But and even that's not the end of the world. If you have to change your brass at some point, it's not going to be a huge difference. Um, but the same goes with primers. If you're going to shoot primers, don't mix and match your primers. Right. You know, you want to make sure if you're using CCI primers, stick with CCI primers. If right. you're using federal primers, stick with federal primers. Um, if you switch from CCI to federal yeah. primers, then test that loadout. Mm-hmm. Make sure it's still works well in your rifle because it might not change a ton Mm -hmm. you know but it will change a little bit and with reloading a little is a lot here's something that i already know the answer to Mm -hmm. for some folks that might not be educated on this sure a lot of cases can use two different types of primers large rifle (laughs) yes yeah and magnum rifle primers yes is there a difference and should you work back up a new load if you switch from large rifle to magnum absolutely. rifle absolutely that, that's a huge so okay. they're just they're so the, the exact just, same size yeah, just so the folks are aware yeah. of that yeah. so they're they're the exact same size and they're the exact like same dimension same everything they'll mm-hmm. fit just as snugly um the difference is the the spark and heat right so the magnums are going to spark a lot more because typically in magnum cartridges you have more powder right. and a larger case which means you have to ignite the powder faster right so 
while you can use them interchangeably and you can use large rifle non-magnum primers in say a 300 win mag yep and if that's what you have you can do it all day long don't think you can't right um like right now magnum primers are really hard to find mm-hmm. yeah large rifle not so much right. i mean they're still kind of hard to find but they're not as hard they're to find as the magnums more available yeah. yeah and so if that's all you can find you might have to add a little bit more powder um or you might have to play with your load a little bit right but right and especially here's the big difference if you go let's say in today's post-covid era all you can find is large rifle and you work up a load for that and it's shooting accurate and great and then you find a box of large rifle magnum primers you're gonna have to bring that powder charge down a little bit to be able to keep within the pressure ratings Mm -hmm. and everything like that because it's going to ignite much faster and therefore create more pressure inside that chamber um you want to be make you want to make sure the biggest thing i'll I'll say you want to make sure you're being safe when you're reloading right there's a lot of ways to goof yourself up reloading um now if you follow the proper steps and you're safe about it and you you know read the manuals and you stick Mm -hmm. within the guidelines and you're not loading super hot super hot loads um then you're you're going to be fine you know it's not like you're going to be running that press one day and all of a sudden it's going to blow up on you right but right um you do want to be careful and you want right. to make sure you're safe. You want to protect yourself. So sticking within the guidelines and if you do have to change anything, whether it's your brass, whether it's your yeah. primer, whether it's your, you know, your projectile, mm-hmm. you know, like we just talked about right. one monolithic to another. Right. Make sure you're making the proper adjustments. Right. Um, On the uh, brass and primer and changing your load and checking your load if you change those things. Mm-hmm. I talked earlier about somebody printing off Nosler data, mm-hmm. right? And what they told me was, I'm just loading what it says here. This says this is the most accurate load, so I'm loading that. <laughs> well, that's great, yeah. except they were using a different primer in a different case. Mm-hmm. That alone that will change, change that, and it's not for their rifle. Right. Right? And, and uh, check, when you're looking at these manuals too, check what the test barrel is. Yeah. Because a lot of, like if you're loading, even rounds that are supposedly designed for 20-inch barrels or mm-hmm. you know shorter barrels, a lot of the test barrels they use for the reloading data are 24-inch barrels. Right. That's going to change your speed. That's going to change a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing to think about is where are these companies testing this stuff? Are they what temperatures? way up high in the yeah. Colorado mountains? And we're down here at 400 feet in Fairbanks, Alaska. Um, are they, yeah, is, is it colder there? Is it warmer there? You know, what altitude and what, you know, conditions are they in? Is it a controlled indoor range where there's not really right. a whole lot of humidity issues and stuff like that? Like, yeah. And that's, you got to take reloading data with a grain of salt. Mm-hmm. When it comes to even even the manuals, it's a it's a wonderful guideline, and you should absolutely right. stick to it. But your speeds might be a little bit different depending on your your. If you put that exact same grain of powder in there, with that mm-hmm. word for word exactly how they say, you might get a hundred feet per second different, right. depending yeah. on depending on the condition More, difference, right? Less and but then you may not be accurate at all, right? Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. So one thing, you know, and, and that that's a good point. Next step, once you know you have quality components, you, mm-hmm. you've dialed in, okay, I have this brass, I have these primers, I have this, you know, setup. What powder should I use? You know, y- using the reloading manuals is a really great way to go. And especially, like you had said, running multiple manuals. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because th- it's not just multiple manuals for different brands, right? You right. can look at what does Nosler say for, um, for a 180 grain Acubon. We'll just say, mm-hmm. all right, that used to be my pet load, so I'm going to stick with that one. Um, then you can go to Hodgdon's website directly right. and see what Hodgdon says. They don't produce, you know, 
bullets. They're not, it, it, or it won't be a different bullet that you're looking at. You'll be looking at what their data says for a 180 grain Acubon. Right. Same bullet, same projectile with the same powder you're mm-hmm. looking at from the manual. Uh, the other thing you can do too is, you know, just Google it. You know, yeah. um, reloading is one of the few realms where, and again, be careful, but uh, forums are not a bad place to be. Right. Um, again, a lot of keyboard warriors, a lot of guys yeah. talking about stuff when they've never done it in real life. But, you know, you can Google search, say, 300 Win Mag 180 grain Acubon pet load. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and you'll find consistency in certain people's answers. Right. Right. I like this powder around these grains mm-hmm. in this rifle. And that'll give you an idea of which powders to invest right. in. Um, and try a few out. You know, if you have availability and, you know, the money to buy a couple, couple different kinds of powders. Right. You know, absolutely. Try different kinds kinds out because you know like some rifles just like a certain powder they do some cartridges just like a certain some powder bullets. yeah some bullets and, some and brass, you know right. each one even like like if you're looking at imr 4350 versus h4350 mm-hmm. they're relatively similar you know they're pretty much you could almost say they're the same powder but there are differences between right. them that you will have a different grain you will out. have to right. adjust your load if you switch from one to the other just cuz right. the same number doesn't mean it's the exact same burn rate or, or anything like that so h4350 shortcut right yeah yeah all of these things can change the burn rates and change the pressures and all that mm-hmm. so you know but then you just that'll help you get your powder set up whether you you commit to one powder cuz everybody says it works or you play around and you buy mm-hmm. two or three different kinds you know a pound or two of each and load load up right ladders of each one and see what works um so once you have all of that mo why don't you take this one away what's your next step so my next step is uh well usually i'm reloading um with brass that i've shot mm-hmm. so my next step is to throw the brass in the tumbler mm-hmm. right i just use a dry tumbler because it's simple mm-hmm. it's easy there's no extra steps right? you're using lead media uh, lead or, or what do you got uh, uh, no, I use, um, corn cob right now. Corn cob. Corn cob, or yeah. it might be the, um, what's the other one? The oak. Mm-hmm. Or not oak. No, the, oak, uh, yeah. Um, the, uh, acorn, mm-hmm. acorn husk or whatever. Acorn. Yeah. Right. <laughs> the acorn husks. Right. Or walnut husk, right? There's a bunch Ye- of different ways acorns. to do it, but, um, I may have said some that were way off the board, <laughs> bar, way off there, but anyway, uh, anyhow, so I'll use that. And then, uh, so I'll, my first step is to throw those in there and then I sit down and I start setting up everything. Mm-hmm. And I, I've already got data. I've, I've figured up, but mm-hmm. I pull my manuals out again and I double check all the information I was already planning on going off of. Mm-hmm. And I'll finalize my decision there, what I'm going to load that day. Yep. Right. Um, now, important caveat mm-hmm. there. When you're loading for things like hammer bullets, where do you start when you look at that data? I start with weight and bullet type. Mm-hmm. And then, do you mean like grain amount? Yeah, like, like if you're comparing... Hammer bullets, because that's what you're saying, right. that, that step you're on. You, you've done your research. When you're right. comparing hammer bullets to load data, yep. what are you looking at in comparing that to other loads? You know, we've talked about okay. comparing it to other monolithic right. bullets out there. Right. But are you starting at the recommended lowest? Are you starting 10% below the recommended lowest? Are you like, what, what have you found successful during your reloading? So with reloading them, and I've talked to a few other people who have done it and reading some of these forums, right? Mm-hmm. Including Hammer's forum. They have a great um, one, Hammer Time, do. on their website. As I'll start, so most, especially like a regular Hammer Hunter or Shock Hammer, you're a safe bull. It's not like an absolute Hammer, which is just completely different. <laughs> right. It's, it's yeah. it going to re- react differently. Mm. Um, but I will start with, I will find 
all my manuals. Like I said, I think I have seven different manuals. I'll find all the manuals that have the cartridge that I'm looking to reload in. Mm-hmm. I will then narrow it down by, let's say, you know, my Lyman manual doesn't have as many options yep. in it. So if it doesn't have around what I'm looking for, you know, I'll discard that one. All right. The Sierra one has the cartridge, but none of those bullets matter for this, right? Yeah. Um, I have a great manual, but it's very specific use. Um, and so, you know, let's just say I've got my Barnes, Hornady, Hodgson, and Lee. Those are the ones I usually end up with, right? Because the Barnes is monolithics, mm-hmm. right? Those are, that is some of the most accurate data close, close to the hammers that I've found yeah. is the way the, is the Barnes. Yep. I look at other monolithics. I look at Hornady's, uh, most of their books still says GMX because that's when the book came out. It was still the GMX. Uh, I like the Lee and the Hodgson because they give a lot of information about a lot of different bullets mm. and Hodgson owns a lot of the other powder companies. So there's a tremendous amount of information on one cartridge yeah. and all kinds of different weights. I will also look at just weight class mm-hmm. to determine my powder rating because usually hammers will fly with a little less pressure than a Barnes or a GMX. Especially, usually. yeah, yeah. So I'll usually start somewhere in the mid range. I was starting low, mm-hmm. but after, you know, doing that a Point few times around. and like, unless I'm really not sure, mm-hmm. I'll usually start in a mid range somewhere in the middle of the load data. Cause then I'll basically come up with a, uh, mid to high yep. load data myself based on everything I'm seeing. I'll split yep. the middle. Okay. This is the middle, right? It's no, it's not anybody's highs, mm-hmm. but it's in the middle of everybody's right. Yep. Let's just say it's 70 grains. Okay. And 73 and a half is the mat mm-hmm. for the lowest, right? You know, and 74.1 is the max for the highest max on one of these. Yep. I will then load from in half grain increments, 70, 70 and a half up to 74 and a half. I'll load okay. just over. How, how many of each are you doing? Uh, sometimes I'll do two or three of each. Sometimes I just do one, depending on how long how many I'm loading. If I'm loading a lot. Of, because, of each flavor? Um, of each number. I'll sometimes only load one, specifically looking just for what the velocity of that oh, one is. Oh, you're, you're shooting to see what the velocity is. I'm shooting is. for okay. velocity gotcha. and testing pressures. Gotcha. That's primarily yeah. what I'm shooting okay. for. Yeah. I'm tracking now. And the other thing that <laughs> gives me is, uh, is then that also tells me if I have two that are the mm-hmm. same velocity and they're half grain increment different, yeah. I'm going to get my best consistency. We talked about the node. That's where it's at is right there. Yeah. Right? Now, I, I will point out um, I would recommend personally mm-hmm. until they've, and, and if anybody's listening, until you have verified that your chamber reacts the same way to these bullets, right? Um, start low right. for your first two. Mm-hmm. That would be my recommendation because there are, you know, there's there's standards for these chamberings, yeah, whether yeah. you know. One three hundred win mag to another one three thirty eight RPM to it. Well, I guess that's all the same company, but even then, you know, it's like, you know, there can be differences just in mm-hmm. production. Um, but like a three thirty eight win mag versus another three thirty eight win mag. If you're, um, there can be slight variations in the different chamberings mm-hmm. of those things. So make sure you you test those pressures like you're talking about. Right. Make sure you don't just start high and right. just assume it's going to be safe because, well, my buddy did it and he, it was safe in his rifle. Right. Your rifle could be completely different. And on that, that gets note, kind of accentuated, sorry to interrupt you there, when you've got an older gun. Yeah. If you're reloading true. with an older manufactured date gun, mm-hmm. a 270 made in the 1960s is going to have a little bit different standards of production, possibly. Right. 
right. than a 270 made by a higher end brand right. in 2023. Well, and to that point, like we've talked a little bit about reloading for 4570s. Mm-hmm. When you're looking at that load data, you have to look at the top because some right. are loaded for you know trapdoor models, some are loaded for Marlins, right. some yeah. are loaded for the newer actions that are the higher ratings. Block, right. Yeah. And so it's like, you know, make sure that the data you're looking at is for your action type. Right. Exactly. You know, if you have yeah. a, a varying action type. Right. So with all of that, I, I will say, so many times if I'm unsure and I just want to be sure that what I'm shooting is what I'm going to get and I'm going to be safe, especially with an older gun, is I'll start right there close to that low end or 20% up, like you say. More, yeah. Maybe not the lowest of the low because I know, well, that's obviously safe. I'll come a little up from there, right? right? Um, and then I'll load every half grain all the way up to my max plus, like mm-hmm. I said, because most of the time you can push the hammers that little more and be in the pressure zone and you're safe. Yeah. Um, and then I'll shoot that first one. And if it is absolutely good, no, like, okay, this is really slow. There's no issues here. Um, I'll skip a couple. I'll skip maybe mm. one or two. I might shoot every three yeah. until I get up closer to where, okay, these are actually starting to put, get close to the velocity I'm looking for. Yep. This is the range I need to be in. This is where my pressures might start to show themselves. Then I'll start shooting every one. Yeah, and then okay. I can go back and pull, you know, six bullets. And hey, when you're, if you're shooting hammers, some of those things are a buck a piece. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, a little less, you know, 90 cents a piece if you use the Northern Hunter, right? <laughs> there Discount we go. Code. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so I can go back and pull those bullets, save my powder, save my primers, yep. right? Save my bullets. And, and then, you know, resize the necks on those cases because everything else is still the same. Mm-hmm. And then, change my powders and yep and you're and, off the races and, right yeah and and a similar practice you know obviously we all would love to see you guys reloading hammer bullets but a similar you know it's a similar practice for other it other is. characters correct um you know i've reloaded a lot of different um lead core bullets and it, it's a very similar thing you know you, you start a little low or it, even if you're not all the way at the bottom mm-hmm. you know like you said 10 percent, 20 percent up maybe you know start be- i would definitely start below middle ground um, but you want to start a little bit lower. What I'll do is I'll typically go for my first run. Mm-hmm. Now, this is the difference is I'm shooting for accuracy. Right. I want to see my groups with each one. I don't right. care about my speed. But what I'll do is I will load five rounds of each in two grain increments of difference. Believe it or not, I do that. Now, again, you want to stay within your, mm-hmm. your bounds, right? You want to make sure you're being safe. Um, so once you get towards that top end, you know, tighten that up a little mm-hmm. bit. But then you see which one shoots, shoots better. Best, right. You know, are you, okay, is 70, you know, let, let's just say 66 grains and 68 grains. Mm-hmm. What that allows me to do is see if there's a big difference between those two. Right. You know, where should I focus on? I'm not, I'm not spending my brass and my powder and my projectiles on half grains just yet. What I'll do is whichever one of those mm-hmm. shoots the best. I will then go back and do one grain increments on either side of that, you know, and refine it to half grain increments if I need to. I see what you're saying. Um, yeah. And I'll just kind of zero in on where right. that tightest group is. Um, and that's worked really well for me in the past. Um, right. Now, with some cartridges, you, d- you don't have a big window of mm-hmm. what's safe. Right. And in that case, you don't want to be pushing it, right? You don't want to be pushing, well, the, the lowest section is this, two grains up is middle, mm-hmm. two more grains is hot. Don't do two grain increments in that instance. Like, if you have a big window, you can do that. Right. Um, very forgiving cartridges. Some of them have that. But if, you know, if you do one grain increments even, you know, five rounds of one grain increments, 
see which one groups the best and then do half grain on either side of that. Now you're ready to start playing with your seating depth. Right. You know, and, and then you can really start tuning stuff so, in. But yeah. so that's how to find your, your, right. Your, did you have something to add to that? I, I did. Okay. So oh, I'll start with that ladder, right? Mm-hmm. Single, single loads most of the time. Um, I'll then, like I said, and then I work up, I find my max pressure. Like you say, I find max and like, okay, this is definitely max. I need to come back a little bit. And typically what I found, at least with the hammers, yeah, coming back a little bit is exactly that node mm-hmm. for velocity, right? Um, and uh, my 300 wisdom worked out perfect that way. So I'll then say, okay, well, I know at 70 grains, we'll just say, mm-hmm. is my perfect. Your perfect slot. My perfect That's, slot, yeah. right? It's just below my, I, I'm as fast as I can be and mm-hmm. be safe and it's accurate. Yeah. According to velocity. Well, I'll then take yeah. that 70 and I'll load, I'll, I'll then shoot three rounds around that, sometimes even tighter than half grains, right? Mm-hmm. Say 70 point or, or 69.8. Three at sixty nine point eight, three at seventy, three at seventy point two, mm-hmm. right? And I'll shoot each of those to see which has the best velocity deviation. Yeah. And with hammers, you could probably shoot all nine of those, and still you could probably <laughs> almost shoot those sub MOA, right? Well, and I'll say this: that seems to be a a hammer specific. It does. Um, ladder test, because I, I can tell you from the experience I've had with other mm-hmm. bullets is before you even get to that max, you're typically opening your group up. Um, so, you, you, and, and a big part of that is they have such, I mean, hammer bullet, they're just so accurate, you know? And, and again, we're really, well. we're really harping on it. But again, they're one of the easiest things to reload for, and that's why we're talking about it, you know? And that's why we like them so much. But, um, but you know, it, it, is, it, it is something to keep in mind, just, mm-hmm. just if you're not using hammers for whatever reason that I can't think of. But, there's um. a lot of guys that do <laughs> test for velocity first mm. just because that typically helps you find your accuracy point. They'll shoot mm. oh, 10 rounds, right? Sometimes a half grain. Some guys do a lot less. Mm. Um, and they'll do that just to find velocity and then mm-hmm. they'll do what you did, right? Yeah. And they'll dial in at some guys, you know, 0.1 grain difference, which <laughs> right? is, yeah. which, you know, like we said, you, you, you don't can need, do. You can do. Yeah. Most of the time for hunting, it's yep. never going to be an issue. Right. But you can do it. So once you figured out what, you want to do whether you're shooting for accuracy or shooting mm-hmm. for velocity whichever kind of ladder you want to do and in what increments you're going to right. do those in um the next step i do is make sure um all of my brass is prepped 100 percent perfect like you would said put it in a tumbler that's a great way to do it one thing i'll point out for for brass longevity mm-hmm. one of the biggest things new people do when they're cleaning their brass is they overclean the primer pocket on used brass. You don't need to make that thing super shiny. Mm-hmm. You don't need to make it look like it's brand new. You just need to get the majority of the gunk out there, get anything that will keep the primer from sitting flush and make right. sure the, 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 the hole is clear. Make I'm, sure nothing is, is getting in the way of that. I missed a step. Oh. I decap first with a lead decapper. I was just going to say that. So, and then I throw it in <laughs> yes. the tumbler. The, so all of these brass prep stations that you'll look at upgrading to eventually will have a primer pocket cleaner on there. Um, Swadger. and so what you can end up doing is if you try to be too vigilant with that uh-huh. and over clean you're going to loosen those primer pockets up too mm-hmm. much ask me how i know <laughs> um and you what you'll end up doing is you might not even realize it at first it might not seem loose at first until mm-hmm. you put it in a rifle you start racking rounds off that recoil will rattle that thing out of there and then you go to load another round and you've got no primer in it. 
And it's powder. I mean, it's somewhere. Right? It's yeah, and yeah. You got powder hanging out everywhere, um, and that primer's sitting down somewhere in your floor mm-hmm. plate. Um, so yes, so depriming first, and then putting it into your your tumbler is the softest way to clean that primer pocket, right. and it will get it very clean. Um, the biggest thing you might end up happening is uh, a little bit of media in the hole sometimes, Goes. depending on what kind of media you're using. Right. But that's so easy to just fix. Just check it and you, you know, they make little tools to pop it out yep. or just a tiny screwdriver and you can just sit there and pop. You can even reuse, reuse your, your primer popper tool. It'll still work just fine. You can, um, yeah. You know, and it's not a lot of, it's not a big headache to worry about. If you're going through all the work to reload anyways, it's, <laughs> that's the least right. of your worries. But it, it will um, extend the life of your right. brass a lot. Right. Um, yeah. I do not swatch my primer pockets. Yep. I know if you do at I, all. I used to. Used I don't to. anymore. Okay. You don't yeah. anymore at all. Yeah. I, I, I punch and then done. Right. Well, and I just so. had a few guys that just said, I don't swatch. I do this and that saves your brass. And, yep. and, and you know, so what if there's still a little black spot in there? If it's not in the hole, it doesn't matter. Yep. If, if it's got a clear path to get to the powder yep. and, you know, your primer seats properly, it's mm-hmm. not sticking out. It's not, you know, anything like that, then you're fine. Right. You don't have to make it shiny and look brand new. Um, a lot of guys like that. Reloaders can tend to get a little overzealous on certain things you no, know no <laughs> but, no but you know if you're just reloading for for accuracy and for for practicality then yeah, mm-hmm. you don't have to worry about that um now along the planning phase what would you say well i'll, I'll go ahead and say it for me mm-hmm. i like to to plan out where i'm going to start with my seating depth um and that changes depending on which rifle i'm reloading for mm-hmm. which which cartridge i'm reloading for um but typically what I'll do is the first batch, I'll do Sammy spec. Um, the problem with that is, and, and, and I'll, I'll say this, the first batch, I'll recommend people do Sammy spec. There are rifles I own where I know that I don't have to do that. Um, and so I will load, you know, a couple thousand off the lands. Mm-hmm. Um, they make really cool tools. Hornady does right. make a really nice one where you can get a modified case, that's what it's called, and it basically looks just like the case that you're going to put in there to reload, but it's got a threaded, a threaded hole instead of a right. primer pocket. and a modified neck. Mm. Yeah, and, and the neck is larger. And what you do is you just, you put that in the chamber, or you put that into your rifle, you load a bullet loosely through there, and there's a little plunger inside mm-hmm. that modified case that once you chamber that round, you push that plunger forward until you feel the slightest little bit of resistance. Mm-hmm. You pull it out, um, sometimes the bullet sticks, sometimes it doesn't. You just get it out. You lock, you can lock that plunger in place so it's right. not going to move once it gets out. And then you figure out where that bullet was, that's your land. You should right? do that like three or four times though. Right. Because, and, and, if, if not more. And go with a consistent number or the yeah. average because sometimes you won't push quite hard enough. Sometimes, like I say, you lodge it in the lands, you know you're too long. Right? <laughs> right, exactly. And so you get your average number from that. Right. And that'll give you right where it's kissing the lands. Um, and then whether you want to come off you know, compare that to your mag length. Sometimes you'll have to be, you know, yeah. stuck by your mag length, depending on your rifle. Um, maybe the lands are a lot farther. That's the case in a lot of those Weatherby rounds is, you know, it's just a huge chamber in there. Right. Um, and so sometimes you're, you're limited. But figure out where you want to start with that. Do not punch it into the lands immediately. <laughs> you know, there are some bullets that like that. There are some rounds where they just love being shoved all the way up into the lands give it some space to, you know, at least a couple mm-hmm. thousands off. And uh, in most cases, um, I don't know, does, does the Hornady kit come with the, um, the Ojive adapter? I do adapter not believe it does. Or, okay. I don't believe it even come, 
comes with the um with the uh, chamber gauge. Yeah, I don't think it, I don't even know if it. Uh, I think it has a caliper in it. It should have know. a caliper. That's yeah. kind of a basic necessity. But there's but there's an adapter you can get for your caliper where you can then program it to to measure off your OJA. Right. Um, right. And that's what I would I would. 100% recommend I have people. that full setup and it's it's wonderful it's pretty sweet short yeah. action customs makes a great one that's supposed to be even more accurate mm. but it is way up there in price yep so once you figure out where you want your lands to be is that pretty consistent with how you do it it Be- is. Before I move on. It yeah. is. I, I actually, like with the hammers anyway, mm-hmm. I usually start by just going 2,000s off the, yeah, off the lands. That's just because that's a pretty consistent, if it's my mag, right? Yep. My, my short mag, I landed within like a thousandth of my, of my mag. Like I loaded one at that <laughs> nice. and it like fits my mag and it looks like there's no room there, but uh-huh. hey, it fits. And, <laughs> nice. it, and, they, and they feed and load properly, right? Perfect. Yep. And that, that's a big thing. Um, so once you figured that out and you can play with your seating depth if you're having accuracy issues. You can shorten it up, lengthen it out, do mm-hmm. whatever you need to do, but that's a whole other step down the road. Um, but you're starting, they should all be the same because mm-hmm. you're only going to be testing your different powder charges and different velocities. Right. Um, so then you got to make sure your brass is ready to load. Um, the biggest thing is especially, and I do this with brand new brass even, is I will double, triple check everything before I get going. Um, when, but especially if you're shooting, uh, once fired mm-hmm. brass, you want to make sure you're resizing everything. Right. Um, you now there's debate whether you should just bump the shoulders or do a full length resize or, you know, that's, you can figure that out for yourself, which one you think is the best for your, your situation. I full length. Yeah, um, I do the same. Yeah. And so I will do, I'll do that. You know, you get your neck size properly. Um, what that's doing is that's shrinking that neck back down to accept mm-hmm. a new bullet and hold it tightly. You know, right. once you've fired a round off, now it's a little loose. If you try to put a new bullet in there, it might look like it fits, but it's going to, it's not going to hold tightly. So right. you're resizing that to a little bit smaller than caliber size. So it's going to hold tightly once you press mm-hmm. that bullet in there. Then what you want to do is make sure you're checking your lengths. Um, there's going to be variance in your lengths. Now, the hard part's going to be with a lot of these starter kits, you're not going to have really great brass prep tools. It's all going to be hand tools. Yeah. It's all going to be very kind of rudimentary stuff. Um, what does the Hornady one come with for a case trimmer? It's just a little hand auger. Is it like, <laughs> it is, can you mount the brass in it? No. No, oh no, it's just... No. So, really? So what I, um, what I had used in the past is um man i forget the company that makes it but yeah it's something you just you mount your brass in it and you set your depth to exactly what you want it to right. be and you can lock a little um collar on it mm-hmm. and then that way when you push that that the grinder forward it can only go as far as that right. that collar will let it go um making sure don't get too hung up on the Sammy specs that it shows in your reloading manual. That's a good guideline. Mm-hmm. Focus on what is the consistent length of your brass because you don't want to over trim, right? Some brass just come, like some brands of brass just come long. And some are short. And some are short. Um, if they're short, you want to trim the least amount, but you have to make sure they're all consistent. You want them all to be consistent, right? So go through each piece of brass with your calipers and measure each one. Set it to the side and, you know, even if you had to get a little sticky note and write right. down this pile is this exact measurement, this pile is this exact measurement. And then whatever your unfortunately shortest one is, that's what you should cut them to. 
Um, but if your shortest one is still a little bit longer than Sammy spec, don't stress that too much. It's right. not going to be the end of the world. Um, I, you know, I guess for safety factor, you could say recommend cutting the Sammy spec. I mean, if your chamber just will for accept, liability if purposes, your chamber but, will accept it without any yeah. extra pushing. You're fine. And, and what I'm talking about when I'm when I'm saying a little bit is literally like a thousand, like or two, a thousandth or two. Right? Yeah, I'm not talking if it's like way longer that's a problem right but a thousandth or two is not going to be right. the end of the world now i like to sometimes trim especially on once fired i'll mm-hmm. trim my brass back a thousandth or two less than sammy mm-hmm. or less than what i'm going to do it as honestly a lot of my once fired like hornady brass which isn't great brass but i have a lot of it for some cartridges right, so like yeah. i said i'm going to use it yeah a lot of the hornady brass is short mm-hmm. i don't know why that is but it's short maybe they're just saving a few bucks right but <laughs> right. um so like you say, it's just at that point, it's just trying to get the consistency out of it mm. instead of trying to get it back. There's no getting it back below Sammy. It is below Sammy. Gotcha. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, no, I'll, I'll, you can go back a couple thousandths mm-hmm. than Sammy as long as it's all consistent. Yep. You get a couple thousandths below Sammy, you can actually not have to trim off as much the next time to right. get to your lowest because one, it's going right? to stretch the next time because it'll time. stretch but it'll all stretch more consistently the next time you still need right. to check it you still need to trim it mm-hmm. but it'll be more consistent yeah and, and that's the thing is you're always you're just trimming to keep them all right the same you know um that's where you're going to see a lot of your accuracy is, is just because that's just it accuracy is consistency right if each case is a different length that's going to be different consistency right if it's a slightly different uh seating depth mm-hmm. that's your consistency um, you know, so really being meticulous, and this is why at the beginning, when we were talking about brass prep, you know, it can take much longer than the rest of the process. Once yeah. you start pouring powder, it's pretty quick. It is. Um, yeah. you know, and, and that's where, you know, we don't have to spend a ton of time except for the fact that, you know, once you start pouring powder, and this is another thing with those scales, um, make sure you calibrate your scale every time before you, mm-hmm. you start. Some scales will let you pour powder and measure stuff without calibration. Um, other higher end ones won't even let you get started. They'll demand calibration before each, each right. session. Um, you don't need to calibrate between loads. You know, mm-hmm. if, you're, if you're going from round to round to round, obviously it's going to be the set. But if it's been a week or two since right. you've reloaded, you know, just go ahead and calibrate it. It, it takes 30 seconds to three minutes, depending on which. If it's we, been a day. Yeah, opinion, right. right. Now, Electronic versus, uh, you know, manual older style scale. Mm-hmm. Manual older style scale, obviously you have to calibrate it, right? right you have right. to to use it. Um, and I've heard a lot of guys like those just because they're simple. They are simple. And they're basic and there's nothing, you don't, you know, you calibrate yeah. it every time you use it, right? I, I, I would think there you couldn't quite get the consistency you could out of a digital. However, yeah. that is going to be a lot more accurate than a $20 Amazon digital scale. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Or yeah. a twenty-year-old powder auto powder measure. Mm-hmm. There was one that I was trying to use when I first started. Yeah, that thing. I realized this after a while sitting there. It will give or take a grain. Mm-hmm. Okay, give or take a tenth of a grain is too much. But you know, in reality, when you're measuring two within one tenth of a grain, that's what most yeah. your, most your scales are going to do, unless you spend a lot more money. Um, that's a, you're really within probably you know, just over it, just your, your give or take just under a 10th of a grain, right? Mm-hmm. It's between 0.1 or 0.2. Yeah. And it's somewhere in there. It might be 0.1.5 and the next one might be point, uh, you know, 0.5, mm-hmm. right? So you have that one grain increment. As soon as you're to 0.1, 0.2, well then it's more. So that's where like 
I personally, that's something I want to upgrade. It doesn't matter as much, I don't think. <laughs> but I just would love to know that it is all point zero four. You're right. <laughs> within, yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and and that's the the next big thing is once you've upgraded your brass prep tools mm-hmm. to make that process easier. Right. You're going to quickly find out that's that, so, that's the biggest painful part of this brass prep and trimming. We haven't really talked you about know, resizing. Ah, uh, we yeah we we touched we can, on we it. touched on it. Yeah. Though. So you can start your basic RCBS die set, right? Mm. If you're shooting straight wall, you're going to have a two, two, sta- two dies for your resize. If you're yep. shooting necked, you're going to have um, one, one full-length resizing die. Um, there's a lot of options there. Your yeah. basic set is going to be, you know, you set, you adjust it, you set it, and then that's what it is. Yep. Um, and that's fine. You know, it's going to have a set headspace depth. You can't usually adjust your head spacing on your, on your brass, you know, which is how far not you knock back the shoulder. Um, Although the other thing that can really help, and this is a plan, one of the things I plan on doing is adding, is going, is because I usually pull the, um, the, the decapper out of there because mm. most of the time my cases are already primed when I'm resizing. Yep. So I'll pull it up. And a longer cartridge, that's fine because the inside expander mandrel is, it, it doesn't matter. It's up, it still is going to do its job. Mm. In a shorter cartridge, say a six millimeter arc, you try to pull that up and it will actually create a friction point that is too tight for the brass to go between the both sides of the neck, outside and inside, mm. and it will crush your brass. Yep. Ask me how I know. I accidentally <laughs> ran my modified case through that. So, so I, I will say this on, on the topic of that and crushing brass. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're resizing your brass, you want to lube it up. Oh, yeah. And there, there is case lube that you can buy. There's tons of different brands. And options um, of styles. And, and options. Everything. There's sprays. There's rub-on. It looks just like Vaseline. There's, you know, just all kinds of different stuff you can do. Right. Don't get overzealous with that. Put just enough on to lube the case up. Mm-hmm. Putting too much lube on your case can also cause issues and it crush can. brass yeah. and get cases stuck even. Does the opposite, right. you know? And so right. be very don't careful. Put too, don't put too much, but make sure you have enough. Make sure you have enough. It, it, it's a balancing act. I, I will warn You're going to crush a couple pieces of brass. Right. Um, but yeah, don't, don't like glob it up and just make it like crazy, right. crazy amounts. A great but. starter lube is Hornady One Shot. I have one not awesome. had a single problem yeah. with One, one shot. Shot's awesome. Once in a while, I've had a tight case. I pull out and put some more on and that fixes the issue. Mm-hmm. But other than that, I have not crushed a case with it. Yep. Yep. Um, one Shot's a solid way to go. So my plan to fix the expander mandrel problem, because really I'd like to pull those. Mm-hmm. I really don't even like the fact that it's there. I don't like, I just don't like it. I'm going to get a separate expand, expanding die, mandrel die. So I'll yep. do re, full length resize, then I'll re-expand my necks. Yep. That's my plan. I'm going to do I, a Sinclair expander. I, I know a lot of guys, well, once they get into it, that's what right. they do. Yeah. Anyhow, we can move on from there. But but yeah, so so re, you know, making sure you do that. And and you said something interesting. You said it's usually already primed when you get to that point. Mm-hmm. I do the opposite. Do you? So I, it's once I, I pull it out and I'm, I'm getting ready to do my brass prep, um, you know, I basically go straight from the tumbler, yeah. You know, with deprimed brass, right. straight into the sizing dies, right? Um, and and that whole process because that's where you're going to see your your difference, and then you trim it, and then you know, and that's that's my mm-hmm. my standard operation. Um, that's a good place to be. But and, I've gone and then back and- before I pour powder, that's mm-hmm. when I'll prime them up. Right. Once they're all prepped, they're all good to go. They're all you know lubed up and ready. Mm-hmm. Then I prime. Then I pour my powder charge. And then I seat the bullet. Right. Um, and, you know, that process is pretty, 
self-explanatory, obviously, you know, you want to make sure you're getting the powder, the consistent amount of powder in there. We had started to talk about scales. Um, you want to make sure one that is calibrated properly and two, that you're keeping an eye on it. Um, now with these lower end scales, they're not auto feeders. Mm -hmm. So you are controlling the amount of, of powder that goes in there. Make sure if you're trying to load 68 grains of whatever powder, you're not loading 68.1 grains every once in a while. Right. Or 67.9 grains every once in a while. If you've got to use your fingers or whatever and pinch out a little bit of powder or pinch a little bit more in. Powder trickler do is it. amazing. Yep. And if you have one that has a trickle, it's awesome. Well, you can get a um, little, little trickler that you can pour powder and it sits above your pan mm, and you just twist it and it'll trickle a little bit yep. of powder at a time. So, And even then you can over overshoot a little bit. You can, bit, but, but then you dump a little back into the trickler and you do it again, mm, right? Right. It, that's the simplest way of doing it. Trying to do it with your fingers really sucks. <laughs> I've done it for years. <laughs> Unless I'm loading a lot of rounds, yeah. I just use a scoop and a trickler. Okay, yeah. Um, now, one, now, with the upgrade of that comes the, brings about the auto trickler. Yeah. You know, the auto feeders. Sweet. Those are awesome. That will speed up your process a lot. Mm-hmm. But even the high-end ones still overshoot or undershoot sometimes. That's so what, you want to make sure... what it's doing. Yeah, keep an eye on it. Make sure you're getting the consistent amount of powder mm-hmm. you want. Because that's where your accuracy is going to come from, right. right? It's a tiny little step that you can do That'll change right. a ton down the road. Um, you know, does it really matter? 0.1 grain? Like, mm-hmm. ultimately, you're not going to blow your gun up. But, right. again, consistency is accuracy. Exactly. Consistent powder charge is accuracy. Um, same with the seating depth. Mm-hmm. When you go to start seating your bullets in there, you know. Um, make sure you watch videos on that, too, because that's a, that's a, that can be a little bit of a process depending on which press you have. Um, what I'll typically do is, you know, I'll throw my, my loaded case in the, the shell holder, put my bullet on top. I'll go halfway down. I actually pull back up, twist it halfway and then go all the way down. Yeah. Um, and that's to try and align the, the, keep it perfectly aligned. Now some presses will have, and some dies will have, you know, a lot better system than than these cheap ones. They'll they'll auto line it up. And also with, with hammers. Most of the times they're such so long because they're monolithic. Yeah. They're going to line themselves up with the case. Right. right. Yeah. But in, in some instances, you'll see if you don't pay attention to it and mm-hmm. different kinds of bullets and whatnot, you can sometimes get a, just a little bit canted, which can cause issues down the right. road with consistency. Right. Again, it's all about consistency. Um, and then it's just time to go test. Yeah. Now you're loaded. That's really all there is to it. It's not that complicated. There's just a lot of There's steps. one more step that you can do depending on what oh. kind of rifle you're shooting. If Good. you're shooting a lever action or a uh, semi-auto, uh, you crimp. Yep. <laughs> if you're shooting, also, if you're just shooting hammers, hammers like to be crimped. Yeah, that's When true. I start loading, I start with a basic crimp. And if mm-hmm. I'm shooting hammers, I put a crimp on it, mm-hmm. period. Yeah. And, you know, I haven't tried shooting without a crimp. I, I haven't. Yeah. The, but I know they recommend crimps. They recommend a crimp. Yeah. They recommend that being one of your steps to dial in your mm-hmm. load. Just and correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't you say that the reason for that is because they're like oiled or something like that? Like there's a, there's something they clean the brass with, I'm, hangs around. I'm not sure, but his theory was that's what creates the hammer trail. So is, they do say that different, like adjusting your crimp. So adjusting an eighth of a turn of your die. Mm-hmm with a Lee factory crimp die, which is the best way to crimp. I highly recommend, don't even mess with, you can, to learn why it sucks, mm-hmm. use like the RCBS roll crimp <laughs> feature in the seating die. Right. 
it does work. That's what I started with. But just buy a Lee. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's like 16 bucks for a Lee factory crimp die for your cartridge. And for a lot of people listening, if you're not familiar, there are, in most cases, now this isn't universal with all brands of all dies and presses, but in a lot of cases, there are adapters you can get to use off-brand dies with off-brand presses. Okay. To where there, you can lock in, say, oh, an, right, an right. RCBS die onto a Hornaday say standard or use just your 14, your 7, 8, 14 or whatever. Mm-hmm. Or that's, is that the bigger? I don't remember which is which, but st- your standard size thread, pretty much all your presses will fit, right? Right. Some of them have adapters like your lock and load. Yes, yeah. Most of your single stage, you know, your Lee single. No, Lee has a lock system, which is mm-hmm. actually pretty nice. Um, but a, a lot of your single stage stuff, a lot of your turret presses don't have any kind of locking mm. system. You just screw your die in and you thread it out. Yep. And, but just, I just wanted people to know they don't that have to get true. hung up on brand name. That is true. You don't have to buy Hornady dies because you have a Hornady press. Right. You can buy, right. you can usually run whatever die in whatever press as long as it's the same size threads, which most of them are. Most of them are. It, yeah. It's the bigger cases that will have bigger dies. Yep. Right. Your Lapua, your BMG, right. <laughs> Those are a lot bigger. But. No, with the crimping, I um I haven't actually adjusted my crimp for accuracy. I haven't needed to. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> it might be something I do more as I really try if I really want to. You know, that's a, that's a very fine tuning. It is, and, the, and pro- I say he, yeah. he'll adjust it in an eighth of a crimp mm-hmm. to to find accuracy. Yeah. Now, a common misconception is that crimping heavily, uh, heavily changes your pressure, mm-hmm. and it does not. I have done a tremendous amount of research. Haven't like done a huge crimp and a long, low crimp just yeah. to see if I have to, you know, I don't have a way of testing my pressure. It's not holding it that tight. It's not holding it yeah. so tight that you're going to, you might have a slight more velocity and a little higher pressure from a crimp. Mm-hmm. It, it will change it a little bit. But you're if, talking about well, a dramatic right. change. Just like yeah. anything will change your velocity yeah. and your accurate can change your velocity and your accuracy. But yeah, no, sure. If you crimp so hard that you're, you know, actually uh, pressing into the bullet. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. too much crimp. Right? right. Right. But what I usually do is, uh, you know, my Wisdom, the, um, my 300 short mag, mm-hmm. the case necks and the, what I had trimmed them to actually landed directly between mm-hmm. the PDR bands. So I was able to close them into that until they touched it, which just makes for a cleaner looking round, right? That's interesting. Yeah. They actually landed, it landed perfectly there mm-hmm. in the middle. So I was just able to crimp it right down to the middle of that. It looks great. Mm-hmm. And, they shoot great, yep. so I haven't adjusted it. Yep. Well, and again, of the things you'll adjust to fine-tune accuracy, right. that's down the line a little ways. So part of the reason, just, just to let people know, the reason why it really sucks to use an integrated crimping in a seating die is the fact that every time you adjust your seat, you have to adjust your crimp. Every yep. time you adjust your crimp, you have to adjust your seat yep. and reset it. And it's a 10, 15-minute process that can drive you nuts. <laughs> and you'll crunch a lot of brass otherwise. And so if you just have a standard seating die, you just have to set your seating die, piece of cake. Mm-hmm. A great seating die upgrade would be the Frankfurt Arsenal, uh, you know, multi-caliber seating die. Mm. It's got a great lineup system. So, you do, so, you know, for your bullet, so it lines up good. You can actually drop your bullet in the top and then run your brass up into it and it will seat your, your you know, and you just pull and it's got a micrometer. Mm-hmm. So you don't even have to adjust, you know, the height of the die based on your cartridge. You just twist that. You know, yep. you're like, oh, I need to adjust this a little bit. You just twist that. You don't have to loosen and tighten. It's a beautiful way to go. That's my next, the Sinclair. Yeah. Uh, Mandrel <laughs> and that are two, my two next up, <laughs> yeah. major upgrades. Yeah. Well, and, and that's the cool thing about it is like when we talk about these kits, mm-hmm. you know, it's a great place to start and expand from. Right. But if you 
get one of these kits and you decide, hey, I really like this reloading thing. I'm able to get, yeah. you know, rounds out of my old granddaddy's 30 out six that are touching. Never thought that was possible, right? right. Because you fine tune stuff and you make a round specifically for that gun. Um, then, you know, it's, it, there's just a whole world mm-hmm. of things you can upgrade to. And make the process faster. Right. Make the process easier. You know, the, the first time you reload, expect it to take all night. Oh, yeah. Like, do not, don't, don't go out there and expect yeah. it to be done in an hour. You know, you're going to be there all night getting this stuff perfect. Mm-hmm. But as you go, as you get better at it, as you, you figure out the process, and especially right. if you like it, you start upgrading your equipment right. to auto-loading or auto-feeding auto powder scales. You know, you get the the all-in-one brass prep station mm-hmm. where you can do your your trimmings and you can do your, you know, if you want to use that for your, your primer pockets, you can. Right. Or if you want to, you know, you can uh, hone your edges, you know, right. um, on that thing instantly. You know, you're not sitting there with, with hand tools. You're not sitting there trying to get it right just one hand to the other. You're, you are using a precision tool and that'll make it faster. It's still going to take a while, but it'll make it faster than right. it is with the cheap stuff. Now, um, with every piece of equipment, you can buy the cheap, get started, maybe low quality, mm-hmm. right? With, but you can also buy, you can buy a $30, $20 scale. You can buy a $200 scale. Mm-hmm. You can buy a $1,000 scale. It doesn't measure. It is just a scale and it's a thousand bucks, right? Yeah, and it measures right. within one hundredth or something like that. Yeah, something ring. silly. Yeah. Which, hey, some guys want that. Mm-hmm. I would love to have that. I cannot justify that right now. No. Right? And, and mm-hmm. arguably, you know, and, and we've talked about whether or not something's worth doing for a hunting cartridge or this, right. that, the other. You know, I don't fall into the belief that you can skip a ton of steps for a hunting I cartridge. I agree. Or, you know, not focus on this, not focus on that. But something, you know, a tenth of a grain is plenty. It is. You're going to get into, for hunting ranges, you right. know, even extended hunting ranges, there's guys that are shooting, you know, a thousand yards at antelope. Mm-hmm. Um, Using factory ammo. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, inside of that, you're not going to have to measure hundredth of a grain right. of powder. You right. know, and that's if you even could. Um, there's a case trimmer that costs a thousand dollars oh yeah and, all and it looks wonderful i'd love to have it it looks like it's just it's just so perfect right you watch <laughs> right. the review and it's like man it just it just does such a good job it does it so nice <laughs> right i wish i could you know but <laughs> but you could easily spend ten thousand dollars on a reloading setup yeah easily and that's not even buying and that's without buying a dylan auto loading press yeah right that's just an area 419 turret press right <laughs> that and alone is like twelve hundred dollars <laughs> Right. That's once you've decided you actually like reloading. <laughs> That's when you are reloading <laughs> for about 10 invested. different cartridges. <laughs> right. Yeah. Heavily invested. Um, but yeah, and, and that's really the basics of it. Then w- whichever ladder you load it for, mm-hmm. whether you're shooting for velocity or shooting for accuracy, next step is just go to the range. And apparently right. we're going to talk about that in the next episode because this one's getting kind of lengthy. It is. Uh, <laughs> and so uh, you just... You go out to the range, you check your ladder, whatever you're looking for, be mm-hmm. it a small group or where your pressure signs are, uh, and you just come back to the, the press, and you do it all over again. You do. And you fine-tune it a little bit more. Realistically, within two to three trips to the press, you can have a perfectly tuned and dialed round. Yeah. Now, keep in mind, each bullet's going to be different, and each rifle's going to be different. Right. You still have to make sure that your bullet weight falls within the the stabilization mm-hmm. of your twist rate. You don't want to be trying to go outside the box on that. You can, but that's for that's more for the right. experienced guys. 
if you're just getting into this, you know, if you've got a one in 10 twist, shoot for 30 caliber, shoot, you know, 180s to 200 grainers. Right. That's its happy spot. You know, 175s will work in certain, certain configurations. Um, you know, and you can usually go lighter, easier than you can go heavier, but you will overstabilize too. That's a real thing. Right. Yeah. You know, it, and you just, as long as you make sure you've got good components, you're doing everything right. Mm-hmm. It doesn't actually take that much to get an accurate load when you're reloading. Where a lot of people say they're struggling is when they're skipping steps. They're not right. checking their powder charges for the 10th of a grain difference. They're mm-hmm. not checking all this, you know, different stuff that can really add up to make a difference in the long run. Um, and so that was, that's kind of what started this whole thing. But it, know, it, just, is. Just it is. Don't shortcut yourself. I mean, even with one of these little, little kits, you have all of the tools you need to make exceptionally accurate ammunition. Right. Um, and I've done it. Yeah. So, I mean, with, I can't believe the basic setup that I had, I did buy a $200 scale, mm-hmm. but I got single digit uh, standard deviation velocity. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to find. What'd you get on that load? Nine? Was that nine or seven? I can't seven. remember. Seven? No, that was in four rounds. That's right. Still great. <laughs> so, you know, I, I shoot more rounds, different temperature. It's all going to change. Yeah. But that day, those four rounds were seven. Okay. Um, yeah. And the day before when I was testing the load and shot like two of them, they were also very close together. Different yeah. temperatures, all that stuff was different. But what I've also um, found is we live in Alaska. You may not live in Alaska. Live in Alaska. It is right now. What's the temperature right now? It's 10 degrees. Mm-hmm. It is very, very hard to determine standard deviation of velocity in the cold weather. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Because you're, when you start, you know, obviously your first shot's a cold bore shot. But when you're, you're when you have a, make a cold bore shot at 66 degrees or 70 degrees, it's not that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. When you make a cold bore shot at 10 degrees with cold ammunition or with warm ammunition, what you this is this is the yeah. si- this is the situation. You get to the range, you've got a warm rifle, you've got warm warm ammo. By the time you've set your target, your rifle's cold, your ammo's cold. You start shooting, your rifle warms up. Now your rounds are warming up. Some you're going to take longer to shoot. Some yep. take just less time to shoot. And even with letting your rifle cool off, you are not going to find a situation where you're really going to be able to measure your standard deviation accurately. Yeah, I still like to measure my velocity because I want an approximate amount that. But what is my velocity at the temperature? Mm-hmm. I can put that into my dope. And yep. then, you know, using the dope calculators and everything we have available for very low amount of cost. that's a whole other episode on the internet. to talk about. Right, but I can <laughs> use that information yeah. then to, if I have two different temperatures, that's enough information for that dope calculator to load me up a chart based mm-hmm. on the temperature where I'm at that day. Right. Yeah. You know, elevation and, 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 and all that And that changes, is one of the things that makes Alaska such a hard place to dial in a load for. Is it's not that it's impossible, mm-hmm. but you have to understand, like you, you just mentioned, it's not just the, te- the change in mm-hmm. temperatures because, I mean, there's big game we can hunt in the middle of winter. If right. caribou season happens to go long, that can last all the way through till March. That means you can hunt caribou when it's February and negative 40 outside, negative right. 50. You're also hunting moose sometimes in 80 degree weather in early September. Right. And caribou in, you know, mid-August um, at varying elevations. We're at 400 feet above sea level, a little over that, 440, somewhere in there at the range here in Fairbanks. Mm-hmm. You go up where caribou live, now you're at 3,000 feet elevation, right? right? Like all of these varying features are, are so prevalent here in Alaska because we're moving around a lot. We're right. not hunting right in our backyard. We're not reloading on the press in the garage and then 
going down down the street mm-hmm. up on a, a little swath of public land and and i mean and you, you could i guess technically if you're outside the the management area right but you know we're traveling hours and changing tons of our features massive temperature you can go down variation to the, you can go down to the coast right. and have a lot more humidity you know it's it's a lot to consider but that that gets more to the nitty-gritty of like long-range ballistics um but for reloading that's all there is to it. Mm-hmm. it's really simple it's it's you know you want to be safe you want to make sure you're not going to blow yourself up right you want to do all the steps properly to get the most accuracy because you're already there right you already have the equipment you already made the investment don't skimp just because it's a hunting round yeah like put in the work you can get half inch groups with hunting rounds you can i've done it got yeah. the t-shirt i did it with like, my I, I did a three shot you know, half like, inch group with my uh, six arc yeah half inch yep so so don't short yourself on your your process don't short yourself on your equipment and don't not do it because somebody told you it's not possible i am sitting here telling you it's possible yeah so one other safety factor that just came to mind yes based on the temperature difference some powders are good in temperature stable Mm. They won't change a lot in a hundred degree mm-hmm. difference in temperature. Not enough that you're going to notice. Yeah. There'll be a little velocity difference, but pressure won't change very much. Others, some of the powders I personally really like because you can really play with them mm-hmm. and it's kind of the nerdy things, okay? Uh, Hodgden Leverution, which is they made with Hornady, right? Hodgden Superformance, which they made with Hornady. Mm-hmm. Both amazing powders for specific cartridges that I happen to have and shoot. They are not temperature stable. The Superformance, is not and the leverution is not. They were not designed to be temperature stable. They were designed to be fast mm-hmm. with low pressure. The disadvantage of that is with both of those powders is if I load those and shoot them in test loads at thirty or forty degrees, I my pressure is great. Mm-hmm. When it's eighty degrees, if I'm up near my pressure limit at forty degrees, at eighty degrees, I will be at dangerous pressures. Yeah, or could be. I may not be, but I could be. It's best to develop loads in warm weather. As to, it, yeah, it and can then be. test them in cold weather. I was gonna say it's best to develop, especially if you're looking for pressure in the warm weather. Yeah. But even if you've hunted moose and caribou season mm-hmm. with a load that you know is good, the best time to refine that load is early winter, kind of where we're at now. Yeah. Like obviously Alaska varies year to year. You mm-hmm. know, I think Dalton, you were just pointing out earlier the the uh, record highs and lows for today, yeah. you know, being one year it was 25 above and the next year, or not next, very next year, but the, the record low was like, what, negative 37, something like that? 34. Negative yeah. 34. So, you know, it, it'll vary year to year, whether you're doing it in October, November, mm-hmm. or whatever, but yeah. finding those days when it's, you know, close to 10 degrees. Right. You want to split the gap on your, on your temperature swings where you're not at the hottest, you're not at the coldest. Exactly. You split the gap, that's where you refine your, your load and then you're mostly good no matter which way it goes right you know you'll be a little bit hotter a little bit colder you're going to be better but there is a lot of safety in just picking a more temperature stable powder i was yes. just gonna say the exact and, same and thing. also that's also why i shoot middle of the road and consistency in yeah. picking that you know say varget mm. right or rotumbo is supposed yeah. to be temperature stable yep. right imr is temperature stable right. too. i love yeah. i like leverution Mm-hmm. But I have loads for my six arc and Leverution and Varget. The yep. Varget loads are for cold weather and warm weather. They're my they they are my um, predator loads. Did they did they get a new factory built? Are they cranking that stuff out again now? Which one? Varget. 
They burned down several years ago. Yeah, I heard that. Yeah, I think they I are. Know. Yeah, they're crank, cranking it out. Don't, don't no, no. Mm. <laughs> Cut that out. We don't spot burn even in Fairbanks. <laughs> That's not a spot burn. I don't want so I know, that in there. <laughs> I know a guy. All right, oh, I'll bleep it. I'm gonna. Bl- I'll there. bleep it. Good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, since you're back up here, Don, what you got any thoughts to add to this? Before we before we wrap up, you know, if you're shooting something small, shoot it with a six five Creedmoor. If you're reloading, <laughs> if you're reloading to kill anything else in this state, shoot a thirty out six. And uh, if you have any more questions, I'll be here all day. <laughs> I just let you guys go on this. Re- reloading is not my passion. Yeah, um, I enjoy it from yeah. time to time, but yeah. it's not my. You know, for me, it's love, not my dying passion. I love just sitting down and reloading yeah. just with equipment i'll usually have yeah. my tablet there playing some reloading youtube channel or <laughs> listening to an audiobook and i just nerd out on it mm-hmm. and i just are you watching process, youtube while listening to the audiobook no okay <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't do that um but you know i'll some you know one or the other right yeah yeah and you know and i'll on it's, this note it's, it's i will pause just to make sure everything's going right and double check yes. everything instead of getting zoned in on even, you know, sometimes it's just a TV show, right? Oh, yeah. The Office, and, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. But for me, for me I, I like the science of reloading. Oh, I love it too. And it's honestly just therapeutic. It's like you just go out there and you just play. And it's, it's right. the mad scientist room. And Even you if just, you're loading up a load you know you have. Just yeah, sitting there just it's still fun. running through the process. Okay, yep. I've got 100 pieces of brass. And, I need and, to do all this to them. And, then, and that's why a lot of people like it. And a lot of people that don't know they're going to like it once they get into it. Yeah really open a can and of worms. some people think they're going to like it and they get into it and it's really not for them. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing wrong with that. Right. You know, like we said, we're, we're a hunting podcast. We're talking about hunting. If you have an accurate load with factory ammunition, there's no problem with that. There's no judgment right. from any of us. Right. There's no, you know, we're giving you tools to help you do something you want to do. You mm-hmm. don't want to do it? Hey, hopefully you stuck with the podcast long enough to get through this episode. Factory ammunition. <laughs> factory ammunition has come a long way it since has. the old days. Especially in the premium lineups. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's, it is good stuff. I'm not going to say it's not. Yeah. There's just, reloading allows you to do custom. It does. So that's the benefit. Well, there. and, you know, and some of the uh, off the hunting standpoint of reloading, that's what we covered. But if you shoot a lot of, Mm-hmm. Two, two, three, or five, five, six. Or you shoot a lot of nine mil or forty-five. That is where your real big money savings can come yeah. in. Yeah, get because, yourself a progressive. And right, get yourself, you can buy a bunch of yeah. FMJs. You can reuse a ton of brass. Yep. you can get a progressive press for honestly not a crazy amount of money. Yeah, you get that set up. You can dial it in, and you can make loads for a lot cheaper. Yep. <laughs> well, all right, guys. Well, hopefully you enjoyed hanging in for this one. Um, we are going to wrap up and. Uh, if you have any questions about anything Mo and I talked about in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. If you have any, any questions about anything we talked about in this episode, go ahead and write us, write us in at our website. If you go to thenorthernhunter.com, there's a contact button there. We're happy to answer any questions. If you have any uh, alternative opinions about how to do this stuff, let yeah. us know. I mean, we're always open to talking to people. I mean, it's, it doesn't have to be a confrontational thing, but we will talk and you know, different processes. Uh, right. The wonderful thing about reloading is there's a ton of different ways to do things and you can refine it for your exactly abilities right. and your process, what works for you. So if you want to keep this show going, definitely 
hit the subscribe button if you have not already. Share it with a friend. Leave us a written review and a rating. We very much appreciate the ratings. It helps us reach new people. Always appreciate when guys, uh, you know, go out and buy some merch from our shop at thenorthernhunter.com as well. And we have a partners page full of people that support what we do and have given us discount codes for you guys to use on wonderful equipment. One of those is Hammer Bullets, the bullets we've been talking about. Yeah. Use code the Northern Hunter at discount or at at checkout to get a discount on your bullets. And uh, I think you'll really enjoy reloading with those. They're very easy to reload for. So, guys, thanks for listening. And until next week, get out there, get after it. Good luck. See you. Alright folks, we all know that one of the most common mishaps in hunting is damage to your rifle scope. Last year, I found the solution to that problem with the Stealthy Hunter rifle cover. It wraps around your scope and actions securely to protect it from getting knocked off of zero or even severely damaged. Stealthy Hunter also has a glassing pad and a wide variety of supplements for the outdoorsman, such as protein powder, CBD products, turmeric, and gut health supplements. They also make a lightweight trauma kit weighing in at just 14 ounces that includes everything you need and nothing you don't for all of your backcountry medical emergencies. To shop all of their equipment and supplements, go to StealthyHunter.com and enter the discount code at checkout, The Northern Hunter, to save on your order today. All Stealthy Hunter equipment is proudly made in the USA.